What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Carbide Podcast presented by Woody's Traction. I hope wherever you are and whatever you celebrate, you had an awesome holiday season and are ready to kick off 2024 with some killer sled content. This week's guest falls under a special time period where Snowcross was just entering its infancy, so majority of its early adopters were cross-country racers just looking for something to do on an off weekend. Whether it was the I-500, WSA, Winter X Games, Trevor John was always a threat anywhere he showed, which wasn't always guaranteed as you'll soon find out. This is our longest episode by far, but it's packed full of awesome stories, so I hope you enjoy our discussion. Trevor John is your leader. What a great run that he is looking for. Battle of the Arctic Cats going on right here. Number 9, Curtis Crapo, number 85, Trevor John. We see stuff just like this. Trevor John, a last chance qualifier. And welcome back, everybody, to the Carbide Podcast, presented by Woody's Traction. Appreciate you guys tuning in, as always. Special guest on the line tonight. He's a longtime factory racer in Snowcross, multiple-time pro winner in WSA, and he's a winner X Games bronze medalist in Snowcross. He's Trevor John. How are we doing, Trevor? Great. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. I uh, really appreciate you joining us tonight. Like I told you earlier, we're really trying to cover a lot of a lot of core WSA guys, so it's going to be fun to dive into your career tonight. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thank you for having me on. It's uh, it's, it's cool that you're doing this, and uh, I just kind of found out about it just uh, when you contacted me and listened to a couple episodes, and yeah, I thought it was really neat. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So let's dive in and kind of start some of the earlier years for you. So when did you first get introduced to the sport of snowmobiling? Um, my dad was kind of <clears throat> always into, uh, into motors. Uh, motocross was kind of his thing. He had, he had dirt bikes. I don't think he actually raced, but he had some really cool bikes back in the day and, um, you know, before my time and, you know, kind of, because of his background, I think I was interested in it. And he used to bring home four wheelers and just all kinds of stuff. We always, he always had toys and, and, mm -hmm. um, kind of had the snowmobiles and, and stuff like that when we were growing up. So I think he's, he's probably the main reason, you know, I'd see it on TV and I thought it looked really cool. And I actually kind of pushed him into, um, you know, kind of into going to our first like uh, fair race, um, mm -hmm just kind of a fun little county fair race or something. It was, it was me kind of wanting to do it. Um, yeah, it's just something we always did. We always rode, we always, uh, we always, we had trails and, and, um, acreage where I grew up and, um, we always had that stuff. And my dad was like, he, he, at one point, I think he had like 20 snowmobiles when we were younger. I mean, <laughs> we would have, you know, friends, it'd be like Christmas time. We'd have family up. We'd, we'd go on these big rides and he would, I mean, we had Harley Davidson snowmobiles and John Deere snowmobiles. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he would spend, I mean, he had to be a really good mechanic because those things would break down all the time. There'd always be oh, yeah. you know, a scorpion. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, I had a scarf. I was riding one and had like the metal cleated uh, wheels on the track. So I think it was a combination of like my scarf kind of getting in the carburetor because they were like right, like yep. exposed yep. right by your, you know, um, mm -hmm. right by the gas tank. And then it was, uh, I was on ice. So like the metal cleats on ice were like 
slippery, you know, and <laughs> I just thinking back now, it's like, Hmm, what were we riding back then? But, uh, <laughs> no, he had a lot of, he had a lot of neat stuff. A lot of, I wish I had a lot of those sleds cause they were, I don't, you know, I, I haven't seen stuff like that. And he just, I think they were cheap, you know, uh, at the time and he would buy one and, and, uh, so everybody could have one, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then he would spend the whole time working on everybody's stuff. You know, somebody would always be broken down and he'd be tinkering and fixing it. And then we'd make it a few more miles and somebody else would break down. And it was fun though. When you're a kid, you know, I think half the time we were either in a sled behind a snowmobile or, or my mom would wrap us in like a scarf and, uh, you just kind of use that as like the seatbelt to kind of, you know, in case we fell asleep or something, but no, my mm-hmm. parents, I think, you know, got us, got us into it. And then, before I, you know, ever started racing um, snowmobiles, I started racing motocross. Uh, you know, probably a couple years prior to any snowmobile racing stuff, and kind of led led me down that path. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Where did you grow up then? Like, was the was there a decent moto scene there, or were you kind of like on an island by yourself? <clears throat> um, I mean, I grew up right in uh, Cross Lake, Minnesota, so it's central Minnesota. It's called the Lakes area. Um, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of, there's a lot of snowmobile racers in this area. Um, Mm kind of always has been, um, um, you know, um, everybody from, I think Jeremy files at, you know, close, he's just down the road. Um, uh, Levi Lavalli's just, just a little North of me. Um, you know, Tucker's not too much farther North. Um, but you've got guys like, um, um, you know, Fox shocks is in Brainerd, uh, Rick Strobel. I think you had him on, didn't yep. get to listen to it, but, uh, there's a, there's a lot, there's Jim Kendall, Kevin Spielman. Um, there's a guy up on highway one. I just ran into cause I was looking to actually get some shocks rebuilt on a snowmobile. And he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, Jack Struthers, uh, taught me how to, how to do shocks. And <laughs> I'm going like, how do you know Jack Struthers, you know? So right. <laughs> I think, yeah, central Minnesota, I think the the lakes is kind of the big draw for people that like snowmobiling and just outdoor sports. And we got a lot of nice lakes up here. Um, I own a lawn care landscape business um, that I was kind of got into while I was racing. And ever since I probably started racing, I had kind of had a business going on the side and, um, and um, yeah, so there's, it's, it's surprising how many snowmobile guys are, are still around this area. So it's great to, you know, run into them or, you know, get to rehash some of the stuff. It's, it's great. I just actually helped Levi do, my son was working at the restaurant called Moonlight Bay that Levi did a big, um, did like a big, uh, slip and slide jump. So my <laughs> son, I'm working in my office and my son's like, dad, you got to come up. We, we need to bring our jet skis up. They're having some issues. And I'm like, what? No, it's like, yeah, Levi's doing this Red Bull jump. You know, it's like a mile from my house and my son works there. And they're like, they, yeah, they want me to, they want me to help, you know, pull them. And, and, uh, so I'm like, what? So I, you know, I'm like, all right, we hopped in the Ranger and ran up there and then I got kind of roped in and it was fun. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just helped, uh, Levi try to figure out how to get enough torque and using a pulley and, uh, ch- try to uh, fling, uh, somebody off of a freestyle ramp, uh, but it was a slip and slide. So you come down a hill and hit a big, <laughs> big jump and go flying. Like, I think they, I think the longest I saw was like four dock sections. So probably a good 40, <laughs> 50 feet out into the water. It was pretty cool. 
and he, he was, it was fun, you know, catching up with him. I've done that a few times now and running into just the old race people. And it's kind of like you never left it. And they were kind of mm-hmm. your family on the weekends and you got to know everybody pretty well. And it was a, it was a fun time. So for you growing up, you had mentioned that you kind of got into moto a little bit, you know, before getting into snow. So what was kind of your amateur motocross career like? Yeah, that's, 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 um, you know, I was just kind of thinking about it. Um, and now that you bring that up, there was actually some guys I raced with that you will know, uh, DJ Ekstrom, uh, Carl Mm -hmm. Shabitsky. I remember being in youth class, uh, Tucker was a little bit younger, um, and he wasn't, I don't think he was there for when we were in youth. I think he came later on and did that. But I remember battling. There was a um, there was a handful of guys that, that went on to have pretty good snowcross careers that you know, we started out as kids, you know, racing District 23 motocross. And um, I think I went on to, to take a second in youth that year when I think DJ was in it and uh, Carl Shabitsky was in it. So kind of got to know them. Um, and I think I probably started racing snowmobiles before them too. And I think they kind of, kind of had the same thing where they were in motocross, kind of saw the snowmobile thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Carl's dad had, you know, he was a snowmobile racer, so mm-hmm. they knew all about that, but <clears throat> yeah, no, it was uh, district 23 at the time in Minnesota was, was it really a premier district? I think for the whole country, I think I saw the numbers, um, and we had a, at the time, probably, you know, it was back in the you know, mid to late nineties, two thousands. They had, we had like four races going on every weekend. You could, you could kind of take your pick, you know, you could go North, you could go South and there'd be on some weekends, there'd be four different district 23 races going on. And it's a lot of riders, you know, mm-hmm. um, before they started doing that, the, the races were getting so big that they would, you know, you'd be down to, you know, you could only do four laps or whatever because yep. they just run out of daylight. I remember racing and it was, you know, it was getting dark and you were starting at six in the morning and there was a lot of riders, um, a lot of classes. And so then they started breaking it up a little bit more because there was just that, <clears throat> that many people doing it. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think Minnesota had a lot of, a lot of good guys that, you know, kind of came out of it, you know, Dungey, I think Heath, Heath Voss, Corey Keeney, um, which he actually raced snowmobiles for a little bit too. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Donnie Schmidt, who I think mm-hmm. when his Legend. wife remarried, yeah, yeah, when <laughs> yeah. his wife remarried, I think it was John Sandberg, who I remember, uh, getting second to in like the I 500. Um, when I raced, when I was, when I was a kid, I raced the fan class and this John Sandberg kind of came out of nowhere. I, I was dominating pretty well. And I thought, Oh, I'm going to win this, you know? And, this guy came out of nowhere and entered the fan class and kind of ruined my day. But, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but, um, no, it was, um, it was a lot of racers, a lot of good, it was strong, strong in the motocross scene back then. And you'd always think, uh, California and some of those areas would have so much more moto. Right. But I think I looked into it or somebody was telling me at the time, um, that just because they had more of a year round thing going on in Minnesota had our winters, we actually got a lot of people that like, okay, it's race time and everybody signed up and everybody went pretty strong, um, you know, all year. So yeah, that was, I raced a lot. I mean, <clears throat> I listened to a little bit of Tucker's podcast and he was talking about, you know, how busy it was, uh, you know, racing all, all the fair racing that we did. And, um, and then, you know, basically we'd have 
practice on the weekends you'd have staples or deer river mm-hmm. or they'd have a saturday practice day and then sometimes they'd have two days where you'd race saturday and sunday or that you know they'd so basically it was like friday you'd you know leave work earlier get done with you know for me it was lawn care whatever and i'd have to pack everything up go try to make some money at the fair races to then you know have the gas money to get to the motocross track and and race the whole weekend for the district 23 stuff which you kind of were building points throughout the year so kind of kept you kept you hooked and yeah actually uh i took we actually took tucker when he was young you know um to his first uh, i think his first race in minnesota we went down to elko minnesota Mm -hmm. um they have a track or um behind they they used to yeah they used to yeah 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 and um it was kind of I mean, I remember back then the the gate at Elko actually went forward instead of backwards, you know. So like you could you could actually kind of push you know push it a little yep. bit, and it was it was that was one odd thing. But yeah, right off the bat, it was it was interesting. You know, little Tucker, he's like, yeah, he goes, I raced like one race out in fair race or something out in Driggs or you know somewhere out west when he was a kid, and then he this was like his first. You know, he had his little eighty Suzuki, and I think Dad was probably busy you know, engineering snowmobiles and, Hey, can you, can you guys take him? And we're kind of close to where Russ Ebert is, um, being mm-hmm. in cross taking he's over in Niswa. So, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of fun and he did actually pretty good, right? His first race, like he, he told us he was going to tap his brake and, you know, we watched him and he, he hit this big double. I think it was in practice and we're all like, Oh my gosh, he's going to do it. And he tapped his brake and, um, yeah, it was just, he was little and it was, it was, yep. we were all little and it was, it was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed uh, some of those memories and times. And then we went on to, uh, we went on to the Tony D school, motocross school at Millville um, that weekend. So um, yeah, I think that was his first Minnesota race. And then we, uh, we did a ton of races together, fair races, multiple trips to Millville and he'd come up here and ride and, um, it was, it was a good time. And, um, you know, I think we even, we would jet ski. I remember one time we, uh, we're going through the channel. This was like midweek and I'm sure, uh, I'm sure he's not upset about it. No, but I know at the time it was, it was not good because, uh, got in a little bit of trouble. Um, normally during the week, there's no, you know, water patrol out, but, and I'm sure, I'm sure it was probably me or something, but somebody was goosing it a little too much in the channel and, and, um, it's, you know, midweek up here, it's, you know, pretty mellow. Like you wouldn't think, but mm-hmm. sure enough. And, you know, it's like DNR guys like, how old are you? Who's jets, you know, whose jet skis are these? They were like a friend of mine's that, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, it was like, uh, yeah. So I think he might've got like a, a warning or a ticket or something, but <laughs> yeah, it was, it was fun, you know, between riding, uh, riding motocross, jet skis, snowmobiles. I mean, we definitely stayed busy up here and, and still do. So when did you kind of, I mean, you touched on it a little bit in, uh, some of those fan classes, but when did you first really get started racing a sled? Like when was, what was that first race like? Yeah. I'm trying to think the, um, I know we did try to think what was the actual first race. Kind of hard to remember. I know when I was really young, I did a radar run and I kind of thought that was a race really <laughs> just lined up and went straight. And, um, I think we got a, I think we probably got like a f- super, I remember the super sport 
And I remember the first year, I think I won juniors with it. And yeah, I think I won, won juniors. I think we did a little bit of Heartland racing. And I remember there was some really, some local fast guys. Um, <clears throat> and I, I came up there and entered this race up in Walker, Minnesota. And I think I might've been in the pro class or something weird where I just signed up and thought, well, I can, I can do this. And I know these guys and I was young, but <clears throat> I was super fast in the bumps. Um, I kind of found that the snowmobile racing came pretty, pretty easy. I felt, I remember feeling like it really wasn't as competitive as the motocross was. And, mm-hmm. and I had a ton of, ton of success. I think we, you know, won juniors. I, I think I won semi-pro. Um, you know, I remember, uh, remember funny, you know, it seems like the funny stuff stands. I remember showing up at a race and we thought it was a lake race. And I think we were on at the time, maybe the red, the red rocket 440 or something. It might've been my first or second year racing. And we had our sled. We didn't, you know, we were kind of learning and we had just found out that you could lower your sled down because I think the first race we went at and we did so well. And, and guys were saying like, I've never had anybody like the top guys. I'd never, never had anybody stay on me like that. And then, you know, they looked at my sled and realized I didn't have it lowered down. I didn't have like the, the right kind of studs in it. I probably had like trail, you know, studs mm-hmm. and we're late. A lot of the track was, was lake. So we were, I remember thinking, all right, we're going to make the sled better. And we lowered it down. We put like plugs in the shocks and dropped everything like two inches. So it was like, probably had at the time, you know, what would that give you? Maybe six inches of suspension or something. <laughs> but we, we show up and I think we actually drove to the lake to find out that and there was like some people from the organization there, like ice isn't good enough. We had to move it to the fairgrounds. There was a ton of snow that year. And and then it was just this whooped out. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, and I had and I had this sled that had been just lowered down, like all ready to go lake racing. And you know, we didn't have extra shocks. I mean, we just, we just ran it, you know, but I remember there was like a Harley Dober. I don't know if you ever want to look that name up, but somebody like that who's, I don't know if you worked at Polaris or somebody similar name to that, but he was, he was pretty fast and he was the only one that beat me, but I don't think he had his sled all lowered down, but I remember like shaking his hand afterwards and I had blisters so bad. Uh, just, you know, back then the, <clears throat> I think the stock grips were, <clears throat> they were like a plastic almost mm-hmm. like a plastic hard grip you know and and yeah i mean i gave it everything i had but uh man did that hurt my hands were really blistered <laughs> for a long time and i was like what is going on why did my hands get so blistered now i look back it's like of course they were going to get blistered i mean you know you had six inches of suspension and probably didn't have the right gloves on and and uh, rock hard plastic grips and probably had my hand warmers on the whole time too but but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I remember that the first, I remember I had really good success with Polaris. You know, I think we were paying for everything or maybe we got like a B team deal because I know I got one of those red rocket sleds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, you know, that year being out in West Yellowstone racing the pro class um, and being able to pass the guy who had won the I-500. I think it was Corey Davidson. Mm-hmm. Uh, was out there racing and so was Kirk Hibbert I remember racing him out there it was kind of like just a cross-country type race it wasn't yeah. the cross um and then I remember doing really well um a few different times throughout that year on the on the the 440 I remember winning uh winning juniors and stuff on the fan 
And then from there, I, I went to Cat. I think Cat called us up and like, hey, we want you to race for us. They were, they just came up with this really great sled called the Snow Pro, which mm-hmm. was kind of debuted the first year that I signed with Cat. <clears throat> and I remember they gave me, it was great. I got four snowmobiles. I got a parts allowance. They basically, they, they were pretty awesome. It was kind of like a family. We had <clears throat> already kind of known, known Tucker, Kirk, uh, Brad Pake, all that kind of group that was, they had a, they had a lot of racers that raced for them. I think that was the same year that, that Blair, um, kind of got introduced mm-hmm. uh, to the sport with Jamie and, um, but yeah, that we had a lot of success. I mean, we, <clears throat> I think I won, won all the semi-pro classes. I think they had like four forty six hundred open. I don't know if I won fan that year or not. I know that the Artie f- cat fan was a little underpowered and, then they ended up, they're like, we're going to change that for you next year. But then I never raced <laughs> the next year, but, but uh, yeah. I think they did, they did change it, you know? So no, I had a lot of, really a lot of success with my dad and <clears throat> my friends. We always had a really fun group of people that would come with and um, they would race too. You know, they'd get sled, same with motocross. I'd have, you know, friends in town that would, <clears throat> they would go buy bikes. And it was kind of, I led the charge for sure. I had like the rig and the sponsors and stuff, and they would just kind of come along and we'd practice together. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. A lot of racers hung out in our trailer and we had a really good time and, and we were all learning kind of together and, and doing mm-hmm. races together. And yeah, that year was, uh, that, that first year that I raced semi-pro winning all those championships, uh, that was actually the first year that I raced the, um, the it was called the Ironman 250. It was up in Thief River Falls. Mm-hmm. And I remember this pretty distinctly because, you know, I um, ended up getting, the, it, was, it was the third fastest uh, time out of everybody, but I raced a semi-pro class. So, you know, back then, you know, we were running ditches, trails, rivers, all this stuff. It was, I think a 250 mile race or something like that. And um, it was deep snow and it would get really, really rough. So the, you know, the farther you, the farther you started back, like the rougher the course was. So like all the pros went first and then, you know, whatever classes eventually semi-pro goes. And, you know, so I, I was pretty deep, deep into the field and they're like, wow, this, you know, he turned this time, like this is the third fastest pro time. And I ended up winning the the semi-pro division um, Mm -hmm. or winning that race in semi-pro, but they're, they're like, um, Hey, we want you guys to stay up here. The, the I 500 is, is the next weekend. And it was Joey Hallstrom. He's like, we'd really like you to race. um, We'd really like you to race the I 500 and run it in the pro class. And we're just like, Oh boy, you know, what are we getting into? And, uh, I remember like, they're like, no, we, we want you in the race shop with Kirk Hibbert. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like the real deal. Like, you know, these mm-hmm. guys, you really look up to these guys. You know, I remember snowmobiling up to like Hill City or Quadnet was called. It was a ski hill. Mm-hmm. And I was a kid, like me and my, my dad would just take us on a snowmobile ride to go check out this race. And I remember seeing, you know, number 41 winning like three classes I think that was the same year um, <clears throat> Jack Struthers was there with Nathan Titus, probably racing one of his first races in the Midwest. But um, so, yeah, you, you end up looking up. And I remember Tony Heikinen was there, too, and he was he was doing some jumps down a hill. And I'm like, wow, this is pretty neat, you know. And 
So, yeah, so it was, it was a neat experience for them to say, you know, we want you to bring your sled into the race shop and we'll, we'll pre- you can prep it with Kirk. Now, we didn't, we didn't really know what we were doing. I mean, he was, it was kind of his shop, and um, I think we, uh, we probably would have been better off going home where we had all our tools and kind of knew what to do, but kind of got thrown in there. And I think my dad was probably a little uncomfortable with not knowing where anything was, and now he's got to prep the sled for the – the, that was a big race back then, the biggest, probably the biggest race of the year still at that point, you know, for like a mm-hmm. ISOC. I think ISOC was the sanctioning body, which they are now, but it was more cross country, but um, turned out really good. We, um, my dad figured out where to find stuff and probably had to ask enough questions and we prepped our sled. I don't think it was probably as good as it should have been, but um, me being young and, and everything, I think I made up for it and we ended up going into the third day. So, you know, it re- the start kind of reverses whatever, whatever pin you draw the first day, and then it reverses the second day. And so it's pretty fair like that. And then third day, I remember, you know, I'm, I'm in the lead. I remember that was it the night before going out with, I, we were sponsored by Dodge. So it was a Durango. It was the first year they made a Durango and Joey Hallstrom had one. He's like, Oh, come in, come in with me. And I'm going to, we're going to go look at the track and, um, you know, you're, you're kind of our guy, right? You're in the lead and we want to win the, the big snowmobile race. You know, it's already cat. They want to win and, and, uh, they want to beat players and skidoo and whatever else. So he wanted to just kind of give me an advantage to, to actually go look at the track. And I think, I don't know if that really had played into it or if it was just the fact that the track had kind of had like a dirt line, like it had gotten down to the dirt. Mm-hmm. But I remember, you know, I'm the first set, I'm coming through early before anybody else. There's, there's supposed to be like spotters out on these uh, crossings when you'd, you'd cross uh, where we had gone the previous day, we had taken a right and it was, there was a field and, you know, you took a right and the spotter was, was still in his vehicle. And I just followed the dirt track, like the bumpy rough race line. I just kept following that. And it, you know, um, eventually the, the, um, the markers were, were not there. And I realized I'm like, oh, there should be markers here. And I feel like, you know, there was yesterday when we went this way and, you know, you kind of starts going through your head. Like, did I, did I take a wrong turn? Could I have possibly turned, you know, fall, you know, and I was thinking this and right as I was kind of thinking it, a truck went flying by me. And, um, I mean, I was probably going 80 miles an hour down the ditch. They had to be, you know, going 100 <laughs> miles an hour, to, you know, and it was like a bunch of fans or already cat personnel or something. Cause I remember mm-hmm. the green colors on their jacket and they were pointing like the other direction as they went by me, like, <laughs> like freaking out. And my heart just sank. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, did I, Oh my gosh, what do I do now? You know? So I hopped up on the road. It was like a dirt road, you know, and very little snow on it. And I just, pinned it all the way back and my my high facts were like sticking you know it was like yeah <laughs> i'm like oh i feel like a really you know real big idiot right now but i got back and you know like i looked at it afterwards and i was like yeah you know it's it kind of tough it was a tough deal you know it was like it was there was no markers really pointing you straight ahead they they had just changed the track right so you know the mm-hmm. day before we had gone right this day you're supposed to go straight and i'm the first guy out I think people are probably kept, you know, getting their first cup of coffee in them for the day and, the, you know, the spotters and, you know, I'm the first slide to come through. So they weren't even out, you know, it was just kind of a, kind of a fluke deal, you know, mm-hmm. 
but uh so i rode i rode super hard <laughs> and there's one other thing about that story it's just crazy when i think back so you know you get like this two hour um, time period where you can rebuild your sled after the after the day after the race um and it's like in this staging area where you, i don't think you can use power tools um but you have like you know you can swap shocks out you can rebuild your shocks i don't know if you can swap them out you can rebuild them so um the going into the the last day uh kirk and some of the main articat guys are like well let's let's help this kid right let's help the semi-pro he's in the lead i had a really nice lead i i don't forget how many minutes but i, I had a comfortable lead they're like, we got to get his sled better, man. Like he doesn't have the best stuff. They're like, we need to, and my dad, you know, would have never thought to rebuild my shocks because that's just too, you know, above mm-hmm. where we're at. And they're like, no, no, you need to rebuild your shocks. <laughs> and they had um, Mike, I think it was Mike Carver or whatever performance. Mm-hmm. It's like the Fox shock guy there. Yep. So mm-hmm. like, it's not like my dad rebuilt them, but took them off, everything, Kirk, everybody helped. I know it was stressful. I know there were some things that was kind of stressful, last minute stuff got the shocks back in and I think Kirk pushed down on the sled and the thing just sprung right back up. And my dad is like, well, what do we do, Kirk? Like, he's like, well, we don't have time to get this off. Like we, we he's just going to have to run it. And <laughs> my dad's like, do, do I tell him? Cause like, if I don't tell him he could hit the first jump and it could be really bad. He could, you know, Kirk's like, oh, I, you know, and they both thought, I think Kirk was like, and then finally he's just like, you know what? He'll figure it out before he, you know, <laughs> don't say anything, you know, so they never said a word to me. Right. They acted like mm-hmm. everything was smooth, but I do remember taking off that, that, you know, with that lead and that on that final day and being like, wow, my suspension is like, there's just nothing there except spring, you know? Um, and so that's how it was. So then I had went the wrong way, probably went five miles the wrong direction, five miles back the other direction. And I remember, um, you know, people uh, at the crossings and stuff telling me Todd Wolf was the only one ahead of me. Um, And he wasn't, you know, it was like I kept catching and catching, catching. And I just kept riding as hard as I could with no suspension really in the rear. So it might have helped me even, you know, it might have helped me uh, get through the bumps better, you know, maybe faster Mm -hmm. rebound. I don't know. But um I caught him and I could see him and it was like, I was catching and it was ended up like 10 seconds, um, from the, from his time. So I, I could see him and everything right at the finish line. So it was kind of bittersweet. It was like, I had the lead. I lost the lead. I almost got it back. And, uh, <laughs> you know, as a kid, I would remember thinking 10 seconds. And then I remember like the payout and it was like a $10,000 difference between first and second. I'm like, that's like a thousand dollars a second, dad, you know? Uh, <laughs> but, no, it was cool. I was happy for Todd. Cause I don't think he had won one before and he was a super nice guy. And it was, uh, it was a lot of work and it was, it was, uh, we were real close and I think I ended up getting second. Well, I got second that year. And then I think I got third, the year after when I signed with Polaris, I think for that first year, we just kind of came back from Snowcross. Not, we didn't have anything set up. We didn't test. We didn't, our sleds weren't very fast, but we rode them really hard. And um, me and Curtis Crapo, I remember just launching jumps, just keeping them completely, you know, keeping it to the bar over the road approaches and people, you could tell their eyes were big. We weren't, we weren't doing it like everybody else. We were just, we knew what we didn't have sleds that were as fast as they should be. We didn't test. We didn't clutch. 
was kind of like players like we want you guys to race this race it's right in our back i think it was in winnipeg or kind of their backyard and so we came back from race to snowcross and raced the i500 i think i got a third so had some good good luck in some of the cross country stuff you know mostly what we you know did was was snow cross and mm-hmm. um it was it was kind of it was great to be um i think on the cat that you know that and i think cat had continued success for a while there that snow pro was a was a great sled and um helped me you know it was it was a good sled to be on in semi-pro and to win those championships and then i think um cat wanted me to stay you know racing for them but they had a lot of they had a lot of guys um mm-hmm. I, I was i was kind of ready to after winning those championships even though it was my first year semi-pro i could have stayed and probably done another year but was like you know could i do this and not have to work so hard you know um i think my dad was putting in a lot of time and just getting to the races and everything and that's when i think players um saw an opportunity um they were building the their new chassis was called the edge um mm-hmm. and they ca- called me up i remember getting the call it was like i feel like it was summer but it might have been spring or whatever and them being you know hey i remember them telling me that we talked to tony hiking in and you're our second call and uh, we'd really like to you know have you come up to rozo and um, you know offer you this this opportunity and you know, at the time, I think it, I didn't want to leave CAD. I kind of felt bad, you know, about it, mm-hmm. you know, had a lot of friends there and, um, you know, it was kind of a family, a racing family of, you know, but at the same time, it's like, well, if this is going to be my career. If I'm going to, you know, if we can, if we can get on something that maybe we don't have to put, put as much time into, um, have mechanics, have some support, you know, we were kind of, we were doing it just out of our little garage and uh, Russ Ebert came over a couple times and spent a hour or two with my dad here and there. And we had, uh, we had good guys at cat that we could, uh, we could talk to and get information. They were willing to share. They were very, very great. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we were, we were ready. Um, I was ready to you know, actually get a paycheck. I thought that was kind of cool. I, I remember my, my offer that year it sounded like a lot of money looking back at it. Now it's just like, wow, that was really not a lot of money. I think it was like $15,000 salary. You know? like, I was like, yeah, wow, okay. Like, you know, everything stopped when they threw out the $15,000. I was like, oh, all right, that's real money. You know, um, mm-hmm. that's kind of funny looking back. But did I um, did I get to ride the sled or any of that stuff? No, I, I just kind of signed up for um, – Players, you know, was a big name and, and they had, you know, I figured my dad was a big players guy. He loved his 440 Indy trail. He thought that thing was, he was fast on it too, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so yeah, I was kind of, you know, looking back, kind of just took a leap of faith and, um, had a lot of fun there too with players. You know, we had a lot of years, it was me and, uh, Curtis Crapo, um, mm-hmm. which was, was cool to get to know that family. Great, great family. Still really good friends with, with all those guys, especially Curtis. I got to be really close with him, uh, signed a two-year deal with players. Um, and, uh, you know, had some success, I think for, you know, for the majority of the players riders, it was, it was some tough years. I think there was some, um, there was some engineering things that kind of needed to be worked out and, 
it made it a little tough motor wise, suspension wise. I remember my dad building trailing arms in his garage and kind of going through all these math equations and drawing it all out. And you're like, see, it's Trevor. He goes, the trailing arm, when, when it's going this way, it's like somebody's pulling a rug this way. And he's like, that's why they're bending. And, you know, he's figuring all this stuff out. And I remember he actually drove up to Polaris and I feel like they locked him in a room for a couple of days and they kind of went through all this stuff. And I don't know, it was just, uh, <laughs> it was crazy. You know, looking back at it, there's a bunch of farmers trying to make race uh, equipment, I think back in the day, you know. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's funny that you, that you mentioned it just cause it's, it's come up a handful of times. Like, like uh, Titus said it, I know uh, Jim Beck Jr. I know he listens to the show. Like he's mentioned it that the that edge that for those first couple years of the edge and the Pro X were not very good slides. Right, Jim Beck. Yeah, I was I forgot about him. He actually he was one of the guys that I had to battle with early on in the uh, in my semi pro careers, and and he was good. Uh, great guy. Um, got to go. He's the first one that introduced me to stand up jet skiing. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, Jim, I think he was on players for a little while and yeah, it was, um, there was, you know, I remember being at Duluth. So this, this would be my first year. So coming from, you know, the championships at semi-pro, um, big Articat guy, really good friends with, with Tucker, the whole crew, Articat crew, um, going to Polaris, going out West to test the sled, meeting Curtis Crapo, having a, you know, um, everything was no factory. Like I wasn't working on my sleds at all. There was, there was no in-house anything, you know, just kind of show up and ride. And I remember going to Duluth and that was X games qualifying. Um, mm -hmm. so Polaris, you know, had this, this young kid who was, was kind of where they were putting all their marbles and then they built this, this really great motor, um, pretty much the fastest thing they could come up with, um, you know, and strapped it onto the edge and, and said, you know, this is, you got to qualify for X games. I just remember the, some of the weird stuff, like, you know, we were having trailing arms that were bending, which wasn't great. So they were welding, they were welding angle iron onto the trailing arms at night, like after the races, I was like, oh boy, that's never a good sign when you're adding like 10 pounds to each movable, you know, part on your sled and just kind of going like, oh, why are they bending? Like what's going on? You know? Um, yep. And then I remember that, that mod that they strapped me on, you know, nobody had ridden it. We didn't test, you know, it was just like, you know, here's a bunch of motor guys that run dynos up in Rozo and they probably have like the fastest motor that goes from zero to 60 and they bolted in. And I remember my brakes, I wasn't even riding the brake very hard at all. And it just wouldn't take it. It would turn, you know, just completely red and then it wouldn't work. It was so super fast sled we did qualify obviously um you know i think i had some good coffee but i had no brakes so i'd come into that turn at the bottom at duluth um without brakes and you just have to you just have to hook the berm and and uh hope for the best because <laughs> the brakes didn't work and you know people don't i think people watching the sport at the time they they see you know these factory guys and they don't suspect that some of this stuff might be going on Definitely in the early days of the sport, I think there was, you know, stuff that just wasn't working like maybe people thought. <laughs> and that was one of them where, you know, um, factory players guy, you know, no breaks. Um, people probably wondering, yeah, he's sure going into that corner fast, you know, <laughs> a little too fast. But uh, yeah, there's all kinds of that kind of stuff that 
that's behind the scenes. And we didn't have podcasts back then. You know, people weren't really talking about it. It was kind of hush hush, you know, mm-hmm. uh, probably for a good reason, you know, with engineering <laughs> and stuff like that. But now I can say whatever I want. So that's great. Now, now you're in the clear. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So yeah, it looks like, you know, from, from working through the timeline, like, yeah, the, you know, 98 basically 98 through 2000 those couple years on those slides like i mean you did you did manage a third overall at x games even though you were injured like there was there was some high points despite all the all the struggles with the slide itself yeah i think that first year i ended up i think getting fourth i like i look back i was like a fourth and either stock or open and yeah there was some there was some good rides but um i think i was I don't want to say stubborn at the time, but I just, um, I was fast on a bike. I think I had a lot of talent for the sport. I could read tracks. Well, I could, you know, I could do super cross, um, stuff on my bike. I could, so I was, I felt like I was in good shape, young, and I guess I just didn't want to, I didn't want to say like, oh, my equipment's not as good. Like I was, I was in for what I signed up for and I was going to give it, give it my all. And Mm -hmm. I think the guys around me saw that and, they worked really hard. Um, you know, looking back, if, if I could have known what I know now, you know, back then it, all it would have taken is to hop on maybe a, a cat or whatever at the time to, to realize, you know, and just check your lap times, you know, but we didn't do that. You know, we were just, you're on what we were on and we were just going to try to make that work. And that's kind of what you have to do. And I remember players, you know, they poured a lot of effort into it and uh, Rick Bates was the kind of leading the show there and I think some of the guys, maybe uh, once they realized that we were at, you know, such a disadvantage with maybe being, you know, 150 or whatever pounds heavier and stuff not working and they were kind of wanting to give up and, um, you know, kind of going through that struggle of like, you know, we would rebuild a lot of shocks and things like that um, when, you know, and the guys would have to stay late. And um, I know they all were, making really good money because I think they were all hourly at the time with players and players wanted to win. So they were, they were willing to dump some money at it, but they, we had to do a lot of unnecessary work, I think, um, <clears throat> just to, to kind of make the, make this thing work as good as it could. And I think that uh, a lot of that could have been solved more at the engineering level, but um, you know, what do you do? You know, you kind of, that's what they ran for production and you can change your mod sled to a certain point. Um, you know, and I, I remember seeing things like, you know, like Skidoo came up with the Rev and I remember at Polaris for the longest time, I think Rick Bates had built, basically it looked just like a Rev. I don't know if I can, you know, it, it was like, it had the steering post and everything going over the motor. And we just kept looking at this thing to the point where I think somebody said like, what are we doing? Like, why aren't we developing this? You know, why aren't we? And it was because we were too busy working with what we had, you know, trying to win races. There wasn't really time to develop something else. But we should have, looking back, we should have just said, all right, this we could make this our mod. Because I think in the mod class back then, you could, I think you could enter a different, different chassis. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, looking back at it, it's like, wow, that was like, that was like the rev sitting there. And I had to stare at this rev for like two years sitting on the, the bench and just the frame and everything with the steering post, you know, and everything, you know, at a better angle. And, um, you know, it was, it was, I think a lot of them, a lot of the manufacturers were probably on kind of that same, 
you know, thing. I don't know if, if Artie Cat had kind of the same concept or what, but um, yeah, it was just kind of who could, who could build the best mouse trap. And I, I do kind of look at it like, you know, back then it was, it was, um, it was, it was quite a difference from, you know, I think as things have gotten a little closer, <clears throat> things have kind of trued up a little bit more, more like the motocross scene where a uh, little bit closer, you know, but little mates, little bits make a big difference in the, you know, when, when racing is really competitive. So, um, but yeah, from there, I mean, it was, uh, it was Polaris for two years. Um, Curtis, uh, great, great teammate. We did have some successes here and there. I think, you know, if you remember talking to Blair and he's like, Hey, you're keeping me honest. At least somebody's keeping me honest, you know, back before the Tucker Hubert day, <laughs> back before the Tucker days, you know, Blair was, he was super fast. He was dominating. And, you know, once in a while I could, you know, keep him honest here and there a little bit, I'd say a little bit, but, um, um, you know, from there, um, I remember the second year, uh, we were out in, I think, you know, more of your neck of the woods out at, uh, Mount Snow in Vermont. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, <laughs> we, uh, had some success, you know, I, I know I, tr- I tried doing a jump like early on in the race. I, I thought I could do, and I came up about a foot short and I cartwheeled my side. I was in like third and uh, I was early on in the final and, um, uh, you know, re kind of re-injured my ankle. I'd broken my ankle in 99 when I did get a third at the X games, I had to ride with my ankle broken, which, which wasn't fun, you know, that, no. was, my first, that was my first year with Claire. So it was still, I remember Mount Snow that kind of re-injured it a little bit. And um, I remember kind of a low point, I think the team, you know, this is going on our second year of, of really kind of battling, um, battling the sleds. And I think some of the mechanics were kind of getting upset at the hours they had to put in. And we had this huge elaborate, um, this big, uh, awning that we'd set up at the races and it was all heated. I mean, it was really cool. It was like the factory motocross, supercross setups that they have now, but this was all heated, you know, kind of enclosed and you could work on the sleds like outside of the semi. Um, so that was really nice, but it was, it was a lot to set up and take down every weekend. And I remember getting a call that, Hey, you guys need to, even though we had a race, I think after Mount Snow, I think there was another race in New York or somewhere out there. <clears throat> that we were planning on just staying out and testing, but we got called back. Um, and all of a sudden we were all flying back to Roseau to meet with, I don't know, one, one of the, I think it was Nygaard or one of the top guys at Polaris, like the engineering type guys that was like, what's going on? And nobody wanted to say anything. It was the weirdest thing. You know, here's, I'm young, I'm, I'm racing, I'm trying really hard and I want to win. And we got in this meeting and nobody really spoke up. Nobody said anything. And we just kind of sat there and finally, I'm just like, you know, here's what's, here's what's going on. You know, I said, we got some people that are wanting to make this work. Some people that have kind of given up. And I think I might've said a little too much. I think at the time we had, um, me, a race manager that I felt like wasn't really involved. It wasn't Rick Bates. It was, I think, Dave Williams was his name and just didn't seem very involved on the side of it. And I remember that was kind of my last year, the two-year deal. And I think he made sure, he made sure when it came time to uh, re-sign up the riders for the, the semi that I didn't, uh, I don't think. Didn't I make the cut. Didn't, didn't make the cut. Didn't make the cut. I remember finding out very late and I just assumed that I would, cause I, I felt like by far I had the best uh, results for the last, you know, of the players guys by, by quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and I was still pretty, 
pretty active with the rest of my racing in the summer. And, um, I knew, I knew if I had good equipment, I could go, go real fast. And, and, uh, yeah, it was just, I just, just kind of assumed that, yeah, I'm, they're gonna, yeah. The, and then it was like, I remember having to call up to Roso to some of those same brass and say, Hey guys, what's going on? Well, mm -hmm. uh, the new, you know, before he left, he signed a bunch of these guys on or something like that. And so yeah, I basically had to go, it's kind of weird. I had to, I was pretty close to, you know, season starting. I had to go get my own, uh, my own race rig. And I'm like, who do I have as a mechanic? I think, uh, Jamie Umdahl from up at Polaris came down and, and, uh, my dad had to <clears throat> say, Hey dad, you know, I know you're you got your own stuff going on, but I really need a mechanic. <laughs> um, so it was, it was a fun kind of year to kind of reconnect and almost kind of do it like, you know, on our own a little bit. Um, we still mm -hmm. had the support of players. I think there was a lot of people at players that really still wanted me to, um, do well and, uh, had made some great relationships there. Just didn't end up in that, in the factory rig. And it was kind of weird to be out on our own, kind of doing it, uh, doing it on our own and having my dad drive to the races and having him run into stuff. And it was, it was just a, it was a, it was kind of a funny year. I think that was like the, <laughs> the two, that was like 2000, 2001 season. And, um, mm -hmm. Actually, there <clears throat> something really funny happened that year. We were, and that's, uh, I had a lot of nicknames. Uh, you know, everybody seemed to, I don't know why, but you give me a nickname. Well, this year I got the nickname, the torch. And it was because we had a, we had a hundred pound cylinder of propane that my dad insisted, it's me and Jamie Umdahl, players guy, um, that we were getting ready to leave. We were in breezy point and we were filling this hundred pound cylinder of propane. I'm sure it was our heat source or whatever for, for the trailer that I had, you know, just bought and uh, players helped out with obviously the, the contract for that year. But you know, I went out, got my own trailer and, and um, it was really nice, a nice fifth wheel trailer and loading this propane cylinder. We were trying to, you know, bring it in the trailer and strap it down. And my dad was just like, he's like, that doesn't go there it goes back here. And I remember some harsh words that came out of my mouth. I remember exactly what I said. <laughs> like, don't, don't tell me that this goes here because there was a I still remember he had like a board as the tailgate, you know, so we, we had this milk wagon looking truck that we had. I mean, we were just trying to do everything, you know, low budget, you know, we had the truck. Mm -hmm. It was like an aluminum Grumman truck. I think Frito-Lay made it for pulling wheel trailers. The thing was super underpowered, you know, instead of just getting a nice truck, which I could have, I'm like, nope, I'm not spending any money. This is just, I'm just going through a bump here with Polaris and, you know, we'll get through it. And so we're throwing this hundred pound cylinder in the back of this fifth wheel that has no tailgate. It just has a board about like mm -hmm. a two by four really. And um, I don't even think it, you know, my dad was driving the truck. We were in the vehicle. We had our own uh, SUV behind it that we were following him, but the trip didn't start good. We were leaving to race out in Deadwood and it was like the evening. We probably got a little late start or something. And it was snowing like crazy and a vehicle plowed into the back of the trailer and there were cops and all this stuff. I remember my dad's driving and, you know, it's like some, somebody, you know, just slid into the back of the, the trailer. No, no big deal really. But, um, Mm -hmm. We get to like somewhere in South Dakota and we have, we have walkie talkies at the time, not probably real nice ones, but 
you know, some cheap thing that you'd have that you could communicate to, you know, my dad, he was up ahead of us. We were back and, you know, hanging out and driving. And I just remember, I remember hearing this, this noise, like this really loud rumbly noise coming from him going down the freeway. And, um, and I remember looking at Jamie and just, what is that? You know? And Jamie's like, I don't know. And Jamie, we co- his nickname was one eye. Cause he only had one eye when he was a kid. He, he was on a four wheeler and had a root beer bottle and got in an accident and actually lost his eye. So Jamie couldn't see really well anyways. And he was driving, I was passenger and I'm like, Jamie, what's going on? Like, what do you hear that? And then it just like dawned on me what it was, you know, cause it wasn't, you know, it was earlier that, or it was earlier that day that we loaded the, the hundred pound cylinder in the back of the truck. And it just, I just realized like what, well, what it was is it, it had fallen out of the truck and it was bouncing down, like it was bouncing. And like, in, we had three axles on the trailer mm-hmm. and eventually, you know, I started seeing sparks flying out. And what it did is it like went over the first and second axle and it got wedged in between like the middle axle and the last axle. It was like pinned itself in between it kind of wedged it in there. And there's just sparks like crazy coming out. And I'm, I'm on the walkie talkie with my dad and I'm going, I'm going LP, LP. And I'm saying things like bail, bail. He doesn't know what I'm talking about. Yep. And, and I could hear him. Uh, he was radioing back. He's like, what do I got a break on fire? I think I got a break on fire, you know, and I can hear him. And all of a sudden he takes the exit ramp and he's on the exit ramp. There's still sparks like crazy coming out and he's not slowing down. He thinks that he's going to have to like jump the truck into a snowbank because we have a mm-hmm. fire. He just, all he can see is a bunch of sparks coming out and, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm almost in tears saying bail, bail. I think this thing's going to explode. And, yep. uh, Jamie, I go, Jamie, slow down, slow down, stop. You know? So we, we like backed off and I just kind of watch him go up this exit ramp, you know, on this, and, uh, and all of a sudden it does it, it, um, just this huge ball of fire encompasses the trailer and it's, it's, you know, it's 50 feet on both sides. It's 50 feet high. It's, it's the full, like it, it, when it, mm-hmm. when it finally ripped through the tank, it just all came out at once. And it was, we were very lucky that there was a spark right there to ignite it like a huge torch. Um, so that's how I got my nickname, the torch. It was, uh, <laughs> it was rolling into Deadwood with a trailer that on the inside looked like nothing happened, but the outside of it was like, <laughs> looked like a marshmallow that you left sitting in the fire for too long. I mean, it was, it was really bad all the tires and my dad was he just said he couldn't tell what was going on so he actually mm-hmm. takes he gets up on the exit ramp now we're now he's crossing the interstate you know on the bridge over the top there's a casino mm-hmm. with a gas station um on the other side so he you know doesn't come to complete stop he just rolls the stop he goes across the freeway the, the flames are still probably 30 feet tall 30 feet on each side and cars on the freeway are pulling over. I mean, it had to be just amazing to see. It was really amazing to see for us. And I'm sure you see it from miles away, but my dad, I remember thinking, what is he doing? So he goes right through this casino. I see people like running in the parking lot, goes through this casino parking lot through the gas, right by the gas pumps. Oh my God. Straight off the end of the parking lot and just jumps it into this, kind of this big snow 
lowland area and it just eventually kind of puts itself out and the <laughs> fire department and everybody's there this one fire oh, we're just like oh my gosh this just really just happened my trailer's completely charred you know a new trailer first time i'd bought in a nice big race trailer and it's pretty early in the season the deadwood race i think was pretty early on and maybe the second or third race i was like thinking what is going on and there's this firefighter there and he's kind of helping like throw snow on the trailer and he goes he's like ah there it is it's pinned between the axles he goes you guys are so lucky he goes he goes if you uh if it wouldn't have um had a spark there right away he goes you would have been i still remember his words he goes you would have been picking your axles out of the pine trees <laughs> and, <I'm> like, <laughs> and he's like yeah what a if it would have leaked out you know, if it would have leaked, he goes, this stuff is super flammable. I'm like, yeah, I, I guess, you know, um, mm -hmm. and he's like, if it would have leaked out and he goes, it would have been, it would have been an explosion. He goes, this was more like a torch. So I didn't even have to tell this story to Russ Ebert, but he just looked at the trailer. He said, what happened? And he goes, torch. And then it seemed like from there, <laughs> he was the first one or I feel like Russ might've been the first one because he, he's like a metal shop guy. And he runs torches. Oh, yeah. I mean, the guy's like a, a whiz with that stuff. He's just like, oh, yeah, it acted like a torch. And he's like, torch, you're crazy. And then from there on, it was just like, uh, I had to run that trailer basically all year, too. And it was just charred. Just. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you uh, did you did you ever end up selling that trailer? Like, what was the story? What was the ad? Like, may or may not have been on fire. Cannot confirm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I it was uh, pretty hard to hide that one. Yeah, no, I that thing sat in my yard for quite a while. I used it as like storage. And then finally somebody came and uh, I mean, they didn't pay much for it. But, um, you know, it looked it looked great on the inside, like nothing had happened. I mean, we had we had 55 gallon drums of race fuel in this thing. And it was, yeah. a you know, a huge ball of fire for quite a long time. I don't know how it you know, it just worked out where it just stayed on the outside and just, you know, I mean, it could have been a lot worse. We had to get new tires. I remember then it was like kind of a race to get to Deadwood because now we had to, we had to park this thing and uh, we had to, we had to like throw on, we, I think we had some spares that weren't great and we had to get tires changed and get new tires. And then we had to, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't that much fun for me to pull into the Deadwood pits with the trailer completely toasted <laughs> like that, you know, was, and you could see like the front of the trailer, the very front was still red and nice and you know, and then you could just see where, you know, <laughs> the fire had been on the back. And, uh, it was fun. It was fun. I, 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 I could, I could imagine for like the, the, the factory Polaris guys who are still kind of sympathetic to you. They're like, poor yeah. Trevor, man. He just kicked yeah. out on his own trailers yeah. catching on fire. Like just can't catch a break. Just can't. Yeah. Just can't catch a break. Yeah. <laughs> that year was just hilarious though. Having my, my dad was just, I mean, we didn't have a truck driver. He was trying to, you know, be a mechanic, trying to help his son out. Um, that was a year I hear people talk about how you'd go from like racing in the Metrodome and then you'd have to turn around and drive to like Crandon, Wisconsin to race the next mm -hmm. day. Or we, like, we did that all that year with like the worst truck, the worst trailer. My, I would partway through the year, like from Minneapolis, I remember saying, I'm not going to let my dad drive this truck anymore because he would mm -hmm. like, he would hit stuff pulling out of gas stations and he would, um, he was just not careful. And 
I'm like, no, you're not driving. So I would race and then I'd drive like at night mm. to turn around and race again, you know, at the, at the top level, you know, at the mm-hmm. pro level. And I remember at bringing a friend with me for that whole East coast tour. I think it started with the Metrodome and then Crandon. I know we had to get to Crandon and, um, there might've been another one thrown in there. And then we had to do, do the whole, um, the whole Mount snow deal that year, the truck got mm-hmm. stuck in reverse. I remember we were at like a bed and breakfast and the thing gets stuck in reverse. And I have to be at practice. I have to be at the X games to, to practice and race. Like, I don't know what to do. My dad, I can't get a hold of him. He's insistent on staying in the trailer. He doesn't want to come back to the, the bed and breakfast. He's like, no, I don't, I don't need to shower. I got work to do. I'm like, really? Like, you're just going to stay in the trailer. Yeah. Just leave me alone. We got to figure this out. You know, and he was just gung ho on trying to win. And, um, so me and Zach, a buddy of mine from back home at the time where we got to go and the truck is stuck. It will not get out of reverse. It's stuck in reverse. I'm like, dude, we're going to have to drive it in reverse. And he's like, okay, we, are you serious? Okay. Drove that thing all the way. You know, the roads are windy. I think you're, are you mm-hmm. from Vermont or that area? Yeah, oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Like we, we went the whole way in reverse and it probably only goes 30 or something in reverse and looking out of the window and it's a funny looking truck to start with. And we come pulling into the pits, there's the security and we're in reverse and everybody's looking like, what are these guys doing? And I just remember like, Oh, and this is after, this is the same year, you know, the thing started on fire. And, yep. You know, <laughs> it's just like, Oh, can it get any worse? You know, like, why didn't I just buy a truck? I don't know. Looking back, it was just like, <laughs> This is what we have. We'll just run it, you know. <laughs> oh, it, was, it was really funny. So, yeah, the thing stuck in reverse. I remember then my dad, we had to stop somewhere on, in the East Coast, like where they make the Hallmark trailers. Uh, mm-hmm. like there's a um, Hallmark feather. There's all these trailer companies in Indiana or something like that. And we ended up stopping there. And <laughs> we needed an axle because my dad had pulled out of a gas station and hit like the thing that guards the pump and ripped off like the first axle of the trailer. So we were down to like two axles, stopped to get an axle. And my dad's like, well, we don't really have room for it. So we're going to chain it to the bumper. And I'm like, the the bumper of the front of the truck? He's like, yes, we're going to just, we'll chain it to that. And I'm like, that that bumper is barely hanging on there because don't you remember they used the bumper to pull it out when you jumped it in the snowbank when it was on fire like you can't put it but no it was insistent again so we had like chained the axle onto the front bumper I remember and then we got to like Valcor and I think it was uh Ed Shabitsky which is Carl's dad who was uh, I think successful mm-hmm. oval racer he's looking at us and he's just like and he had known us for a while and Ed was a really cool dude and he goes. Mm-hmm. He goes, Raj, he goes, let's get some beers and let's put that axle in that trailer. You know, so like while we were racing, those two goofballs decided to, uh, you know, put the axle in the trailer and they did. And uh, it was just, it was like that. It was kind of, I don't know, that year was, it was different, you know, you know, it was like here we are at a pro snow cross. My mechanic is really not helping me at all. I'm kind of on my own and I'm with my buddy who doesn't know much about motors or sleds at all. He's just came with because he had time to come with. I think his work schedule allowed it. And he was wondering why, you know, he was like, what is going on? And so, yeah, so Valcor, we just kind of, you know, he, we just kind of went without a mechanic as they were working on the truck, you know. And that was the same trip. It gets even worse because now we're in upper Vermont. Um, or we're going from Valcor to Vermont or somewhere up there. And there's these little bridges. 
And my dad mm-hmm. wouldn't put the jacks on the, the legs of the trailer up all the way. So they would hang down mm-hmm. and you could put them up. You just had to hit, hold the button a little longer and be patient and they would go up. So he leaves them down Well, on one of the bridges, the bridge was too, you know, concaved and hits one of the jacks, rips the jack off the front of the trailer. So like this, this trailer is just <laughs> completely destroyed, like in every way, shape or form from it getting hit by a vehicle to starting on fire to axles ripped off at the gas station to um, the bumpers hanging on there. Um, and now we have the jack. Now we, now we can't really unhook it because we only have one leg. Um, <laughs> Yep. You know, so we have to block it up and use like an old fashioned jack to get the thing off the truck to get to the hotel room. So, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what the deal was with that year, but I think I maybe had it too good for, you know, long at Polaris and it was kind of a payback, I guess. Attention snowmobile racers. When it comes to dominating the track, trust the experts at Woody's Traction and Control. Their cutting edge products are engineered for peak performance, providing unmatched grip and control in every turn. Don't let the competition catch up. Upgrade your sled with Woody's Traction and Control products today. Visit www.woodystraction.com and experience the winning difference. Woody's Traction and Control, where precision meets victory on the snow. <laughs> did you like? Did you even? Did you even have any good results that year? Because it seems like you were just so focused on on no, one, we, made, made it to the race, but two, just staying alive. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I mean, I think we did. Like, I think there were a, a few a few podiums here and there. Um, I think there were some good indoor races. I think I did good at X games that year. Um, so I think, I mean, I don't know. We were, we were in the mix, you know, you race that much. I'd almost have to go back and, and look at the, you know, um, to, to find out exactly how we did, but I think we, I think we did well. I remember, you know, people saying, yeah, because that was the year that team industries um, first came around and, out of all the players riders and, and all the riders, um, they, they wanted to, you know, they wanted to sign me and they did. So that year, um, would have been 2000, 2001. Um, so 2001, 2002 was when I got picked up by team industries. And, and then it was back to, they were taking care of everything, uh, with the mechanic side and transportation side. And, um, that's, um, it was a it was a, some, a fun year. I get to uh, have uh, Sean Crapo as as a teammate, which was Curtis's brother. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of a kind of an interesting year and and a, and a fun year, and, and got to know the team guys uh, pretty well. And uh, I know that they uh, I had I think at at that point I had um, a few different teams that had wanted to sign me. Um, I think they probably looked at me like, man, this kid's doing pretty good for his burnt up trailer. And like his crazy dad is a mechanic and like, wow, like, you know, we need to get him on some better stuff. So, um, so team was very interesting. I remember at the time I had met this guy, I think it was Doug Henry's agent. I think Carl Shabitsky had also used him. And I think mm-hmm. he had something to do with like, we were in a video game, like an X game snow cross thing that I think they ended up changing the name to whiteout. But, um, I met him kind of through that and, and he kind of negotiated a deal for me, uh, with team to, I think it, I think it was just like a one year, a one year deal. It might've been a two year. Um, but, uh, it was, it was decent. We are still, you know, on the players um, I don't think they had changed them a ton, but they changed them. They changed them quite a bit. Team was, uh, the manufacturer of the clutches. So they made a lot of the clutching for, for Polaris and they had a kind of a premier clutch. I thought it was, you know, it was a good clutch. And 
they understood clutching. Uh, still had Jamie Umdahl, which was my kind of my mechanic um, from, and some other mechanics that uh, I had a guy, Matt Kamesic, who still at players to this day, he develops like their, their pro R machine has a whole team of guys. He was just a buddy of mine from cross Lake that when I was with players, uh, we needed some help. So got him a job as a mechanic and he's still, still there and running a successful uh, engineering team. So it's been kind of neat to see uh, other people have careers out of something that I got into. And, um, and uh, that, that year that we did the, team industries, uh, we got to actually test, which was, which was cool. Um, mm-hmm. the only place that had snow was Thompson, Manitoba. So I don't know if you're familiar with where that is, but it is straight North. Um, and, uh, we went up there to test. And I remember at the time that, um, we had our mechanic, um, not mechanic, our team manager was up there, uh, mixing the fuel. Mm-hmm. And he, Dave, Dave Osterman was his name. Super nice guy. Just not, not really, not really, uh, great with the racing stuff. Um, so we had all these sleds that had had all their motors specced out, like, like you should do, right. You know, get everything to the tolerances that it, uh, is filed with like the ISR. So everything was true and sound and they spent, you know, money on it and it was good. And we have all these brand new motors and, what does he do? He goes to mix the, the, um, the gas and the oil and he, he put uh, chain case oil in the fuel instead of the mm. two cycle oil. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we mixed him and he mixed a bunch of it too. And we ran and we were practicing and me and Sean were, you know, putting on a lot of laps and we, we had our race sleds, we were breaking in and everything. And all of a sudden he just came out and he said, you guys got to stop. You got to stop riding them. And he's just like, you could tell by his face. It was like somebody had died. And we're like, what is going on? They're like, you guys got to come in the trailer. And he's like holding this like, you know, gold jug, you know, and it's clearly mm-hmm. case oil. And he's like, this is what I used to mix all the gas that you guys have been riding with. And it was like full on like panic mode, you know, mm-hmm. here's this brand new team dumping all this money into stuff. And it ended up not being a big deal. They, I think the oil was made by lube tech and they called like the refinery or the lube tech people. And, you know, they're like, don't worry, it'll be fine. If anything, you know, you might have to clean out some power valves or something like that. But, you know, if anything, it's a little too much oil, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So it was just, it was kind of, it was, it was another funny moment in my racing where I'm like, Whoa, (laughs) well, that could have been bad, but it worked. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man, you just you, your career's full of all these like just like near misses and these just yeah. wild <laughs> these yeah. wild stories. Mm-hmm. Oh. So were you only at team for for one season then? Yeah, I think it was just one season. Um, I remember you know really trying you know I was really trying hard that year after you know the year with my dad and then just being on Polaris when the sled wasn't really working very well. I, I felt I had a legitimate sh- shot at, you know, at winning, at winning a championship. Um, you know, I just, the wheels fell off of it a little bit from, I think when we got back from uh, that Thompson trip and the race manager ended up getting, getting let go from that position. I think might, might've been partly to do with the oil mix up, which 
really wasn't that big of a deal. Everybody makes a mistake, but um, we kind of ended up promoting the truck driver kind of as our um, team manager. Um, again, didn't know a whole lot about, you know, we had a great team. Mm-hmm. We had a great rig. We had, we had, um, you know, good money behind it and snowmobiles, but we didn't really have the, and we had good clutching. I think we understood how to clutch the players at the time because it was team industries. And, um, but the rest of it was kind of, um, you know, we could go out and buy a bunch of titanium parts, but I don't think we, we didn't really have the experience behind the team that we needed. And I was, it was a little frustrating for me at the time. Um, we were having some, some suspension issues and stuff, and it was kind of hard to find, uh, find out where to, where to turn from there. Um, you know, to, to get the help that we needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was a good year for me. I mean, I think we did pretty well. Um, no injuries. I think Sean won the semi pro, uh, that year. I think I did pretty good and finished, uh, you know, up there definitely in the points and probably had some really good, good finishes and stuff that year. And, uh, wasn't, wasn't a bad, wasn't a terrible, uh, terrible go at it. Um, I think for, pl- for players, riders and stuff, I think we were, we were right at the top and, um, it was a, it was, a, it was, it was fun. It was nice after going through a year of doing it on your own to, you know, have some help behind you. And, um, I think the team guys were pretty cool, good guys. And I think their plan was always to get that clutch on more, more than just the Polaris's, you know? So it was kind mm-hmm. of, um, you know, leading up to, I think Polaris was their main, their main, um, probably a buyer of their product. Um, but yeah, I know it was, it was, it was, it was fun. It was a, it was a good, good run. Um, I think I pushed, maybe pushed a little too hard at that point in my career. Like just, you know, I just wanted to win. I had had enough of it. I had been, been down the road with bad equipment. Like I really wanted to get it done this year. And I think I was a little bit hard on, you know, some of my mechanics that, that were my, guys that you know were there because i probably either got them started there or um you know had been with me for a few years but um i just really saw the opportunity to finally get it done and and um and we had some struggle um we had some struggle with not just you know not being able to win i think blair was still ripping pretty hard at in those days and just uh getting close but not not able to not able to do it So did you have an opportunity to go back with team the next year or were you kind of like, I just wanted, I got to get out of here. Like what was the story behind it? I think that, um, I think that was ready for a change just cause I had a, that many years on a Polaris with just not, not the results that I thought, you know, I could do with, you know, I, I felt like I should be doing better. I felt like I was battling uh, the equipment. I remember the the ride FX shocks that were were on the sleds at the time. Not not that maybe they were bad. They just we weren't we didn't really have anybody we could we could tune with or uh, we brought in some motocross guys to help do some valving and some different things to try to try to get the stuff to work better. And we're still bending stuff and breaking parts and stuff where it's like this shouldn't be breaking. This shouldn't you know something's happening. Either it's locking up or so. Um, but I mean, we still, I think we still, uh, we still, for what we had, we, we gave it everything we had. We'd had a, we had a decent amount of, amount of resources behind us. So if we broke stuff, we could, 
you know, could at least get it going for the next round or whatever. And there was a lot of people racing, I think, at that time. Um, I don't know. I don't really remember how the team, you know, if, if I could have had another go with them. I think Curtis ended up, you know, I think they wanted to get the brothers together. I think Curtis was still racing at the time. And I think I saw an opportunity. I talked a little bit with Kat because I think maybe Tucker was – I don't know. It was oh, it would have been oh two oh three. Oh, maybe Blair made the switch somewhere around mm-hmm. that time. But somehow, like, remember some of the guys like Corey Burbrick. I don't know if you know him. Um, mm-hmm. He was in the Articat race team. Uh, you know, worked worked for Articat for quite a while, like with Kirk and um, him and Hector. I don't know if you remember the name Hector. You know, um, was Robbie's mechanic. Uh, later on when Robbie won a championship with Artie Katz. But they had, somehow they had kind of, they had pursued me or I talked with them and, you know, kind of ended up, um, you know, making the switch back to Cat on that 0-2-0-3 season. I, I got injured. Uh, it was kind of a bad deal. I was, I was excited to finally be on a different brand. Um, and right before the, um, and I was, I raced a lot of motocross and I had done, um, you know, some national events and it kind of, you know, took, was taking that pretty serious too. And, um, just had a, uh, really, um, kind of a, it was, it wasn't a big race. It was a race, I think in Wisconsin that I'd went to because my wife was up in school at Duluth and, uh, there were some fast guys that it was like their hometown and they wanted me to come and I was leading the race. And I remember kind of wheeling over a, a little bump and kind of just rode the front wheel and kind of didn't go over too hard, but it was muddy and my shoulder stuck in the, in the dirt. And I remember like, mm. Ooh, that's, I did something. And, um, I, I'd torn my labrum. So I broke my scapula and, uh, torn my labrum had just signed on with cat. It wasn't, it was, it was late in the fall. So it was right, you know, really close to before Duluth that I got injured on a brand new team, you know, finally on a different brand. And, um, was struggling with this torn labrum in my shoulder. I'd get MRIs. I'd go to a lot of specialists and they just couldn't, they couldn't see it on the x-rays. You know, they thought, well, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, they could see that my shoulder blade was broken. But um, once that had passed the, the time period of like, okay, this should be healed. You know, why are you still having this pain? Um, and I remember just having to race, race the year. I mean, these guys had just signed me on. I, you know, I remember being like, how, oh, what do I do? Like, I, this is really painful. I don't know if I can really turn the handlebars like I need to and felt really bad because it was, it was Corey who I knew Corey had um, probably, you know, said, Hey, let's get Trevor on cat. You know, he's really good. And Corey was, you know, a a good friend of mine back in the, um, back in like the semi-pro days because he was, he was a cat guy. He worked for Artie Cat and, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure, you know, those guys were, Artie Cat spent some money and said, let's, let's hire Trevor. And then I go getting hurt right before the season started and kind of felt bad. So I just had to tough that year out. Um, a lot of ibuprofen and just uh, packs. <laughs> and I didn't, I kind of hid in my, in my, I had a nice fifth wheel trailer that they had. Um, they had like a nice toter home that had like the living quarters and everything in the front. And I didn't come out of that much. And I'm sure people were wondering what the, you know, what's going on, even, even Hector and Corey to some extent, because I wasn't saying too much. Like I told them like, guys, it's really hard for me to turn my handlebars. And, um, 
I remember Roger Skyme even, you know, talking to me and what's the deal, Trevor? You, you know, we want to win, you know, you're supposed to be winning. And I'm like, I know, um, my shoulder. And so I'd go get x-rays and I'd go get MRIs and they'd even shoot dye in my shoulder to try to figure out what was going on. And finally there was a specialist here back in, uh, in Crosby, which isn't probably 40 minutes from here. And, um, I kind of read about, he did a lot of labrum surgeries, shoulder surgeries for these baseball players that would tear their labrum. And, you know, this is now after the season, I think we had, we had some good races that year. I think we did really good at X games. Um, won a bunch of, of heats and stuff and, and did good. And I think we might've had some good, but I was, I, I know it was, it was not good to take as much ibuprofen as I was, you know, just to be able to go race. And I still was struggling to turn my handlebars. So Mm-hmm. It was to the point where like, I, I shouldn't have been racing, but I just said, you know, I'm going to get through this year and I'm going to have to figure out what's going on. And, um, when I met this doctor, he's like, you know, a lot of times you cannot tell on these, um, these slap tears on your labrum. He goes, you cannot tell until you get in there and you do, um, do the surgery and then you can see the problem. And I remember it was very painful recovery from the surgery. I had the surgery, painful, really painful recovery to where I was like, wow, this is bad, you know? And then once it healed, it was like, oh my gosh, like I can move my shoulder. I can turn my handlebars like, yes, you know, mm-hmm. like I fixed it, you know? So, so I was super, super excited that I finally was, was not in pain and um, was kind of between a rock and hard place that year. Um, I think I got, you know, I got to, uh, got to, you know, have some success, but when you're in that much pain, it's just, and you can't, and you can't actually physically turn. I was having trouble actually physically getting my handlebars to turn because it was like the pain threshold. I couldn't mm-hmm. push. Through it. I just couldn't push through it. And, uh, I felt very weird about that. And, and, um, you know, what do you kind of, what do you do? Like, it would be one thing if you could go to the doctor and he could say, Oh yeah, you have this, but they were, I was going and they were saying, no, nah, it doesn't really look like anything's wrong. You know, <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. oh, great. Uh, so, but um, yeah, that was the, that was the Oh two Oh three year on the cats. Um, a bit of a tricky sled to ride. I, I think Tucker was having maybe some success that year with it, but um, it was kind of like that skinnier track and, mm-hmm. uh, and then that was the year then, uh, uh, after that year, um, was when Ola got involved with it. Um, so I had my same mechanics, basically we had Robbie, uh, Malinowski in there as a semi pro got to be really good friends with him. Um, and, uh, uh, had some pretty good success that year. That was probably, probably one of my better years. Um, I think overall, um, Cause I find, I finally felt like I was on a sled that, you know, could win. Um, I, I do remember riding uh, Sean Crapel sled that year. And I was like, Oh, why does this thing feel so much better than my sled? You know, <laughs> so there was still yeah. that level of, I don't know what you call it. If it's, if it's Russ Ebert's and if it's, you know what I mean? There's just that mm-hmm. level of like, wow, this is sweet. And it's the same thing I have, you know, how can mm-hmm. that be? Like, how can this thing feel so much faster and lighter and quicker and, handle better and, and that was just probably sean was probably busy or doing something and russ was probably like hey go run this and try this or do that and i just remember at one point that you're going oh darn it we don't have the best stuff you know <laughs> but um mm-hmm. 
but we, I mean, we had Hector. He was really good with clutching. We had Corey. Corey was a whiz. Those guys had been around the sport and been around racing for a long time. Um, Robbie was really uh, good, tight with Brad Ola. So Brad, the team owner, was you know was really he was a really funny funny dude. Um, he just high energy and just just nuts, you know. And then mm-hmm. Robbie's uh, brother, I don't know if you know the Melanowski's much or met Rusty, his, uh, his brother, that's like a wakeboard. It's pro, wake, pro wakeboarder, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I, I got to, I got to like, you know, me and Robbie got along really well and um, we're teammates. And then I met his brother. We went out for testing for X Games. We were out in Colorado somewhere and he didn't, you know, Robbie, he doesn't really, he's not going to like introduce you very well to your, you know, he's just, all of a sudden I got this, this dude that's like, he's hooking up a, he'd hooked up a toe strap, like a yellow snap strap to the back of my mod sled. And we're out testing, right? And th- this is kind of high profile testing, right? It's you know, people mm. can't usually just walk in to see what you're doing. Cause you know, you're testing stuff for X games and it's all hush hush. And, and then there's this, this kid tying this strap onto the back of my sled. And he's like, he's like, ha, he's like, Hey, he's like, pull me. And I'm like, pull you. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, pull me. I'm, I'm gonna strap my board on. And he's like, Johnson. He kept calling me Johnson. And I go, I go, Robbie, is this your brother? And he's like, yeah. He goes, he thinks my name's Johnson. And Robbie just laughed. He laughs to this day. And he's, like, he knows your name's John. He just calls you Johnson because he wants to. And I'm just like, so I got this guy calling me Johnson, telling me hit it, hit it, hit it. And I'm like, I'm already going like 50 miles an hour. And he's saying hit it, hit it. And I'm like, okay, freaking just waxed it. And I look behind me and he hits this, he hits this, uh, like plowed, you know, just plowed up road ditch. And he flies down into like this lowland area and he does like a backflip. And I'm mm-hmm. just like, who are these guys? You know, I didn't know. I didn't know he was like a great wakeboarder at the time or anything. I just figured it was just some kid that was like, just experimenting like, yeah, let's pull me on my snowboard. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> no, it was, it was a fun year. So he hung out with Rusty and Robbie and, and uh, Blair was from kind of where they live. And so got to, mm-hmm. got to uh, know Blair a little bit better. Um, it was a good, good year. We had a lot of fun. Ola treated people very well. He liked to, like to really kind of, um, you know, sh- show off a little bit and made it fun mm-hmm. for people and, um, and wasn't afraid to, uh, wasn't afraid to kind of be boisterous and, um, He'd, he'd cater parties. He'd spend money when he didn't need to and just kind of made it fun. You know, I think we were having, we were all having a good time. I, I, we had other teammates that were in rigs that were, was kind of a little bit weird uh, with that dynamic because you had Curtis and Kent Ibsen in a trailer. So there was mm-hmm. a bit of a rival between like Hector and Corey, I think, and uh, Dean and uh, so, some of the, you know, some of the guys over there where, you know, what, what team can, can win, you know, cause when we were testing me and Robbie, I think we're hands down faster than, than, um, Curtis and Kent. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're going into Duluth. I remember that year and, you know, Robbie's, you know, kind of saying stuff and Hector and Corey, and we, we think we're going to just, you know, be the best team there for sure. And then our results weren't, it was like all of a sudden Kent and Curtis had, they had really, really good weekends. They, the track was, it was kind of rough like that. And they just, I don't know if we didn't have good snow that year or what it was, but they just sat down and uh, rode fast. And um, it was kind of an eye opener. It was like, huh, we can, 
we can go out on the test track and we can we can do jumps and we can do things they can't and we can we look really fast but yet you know we come into Duluth and you know it's a race it's not a test track and things are different and um so it was a it was a bit of an eye-opener but I think overall I mean it was a fun year I, I got to uh you know got to be kind of teammates not in the same trailer but you know be with Curtis again which was fun got to meet you know Kent and um you know he was a, he was a great guy too and I think it was it was a fun it was fun when you have a big team you know big team mm-hmm. lots of support lots of people around you you know it made it a, made it a lot really enjoyable to to be racing and and have all that support around you um it was it was entertaining for sure so was that i mean that one year that you were there was that the last year that brad ran a team or was it one more year after that i think well one more year after that he won he ran okay. the team that's when gotcha. I think Robbie went on that year to win a championship. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think, yeah, there was one more year after that. Um, so that year was great. Um, you know, I was really, I, I, I was, I was tied with Blair for second for, I think it was going in maybe to this, was he like the second to last race or the third to last race of the year? looking at the points and like, wow, I'm in, I'm in second or I'm tied for second or something like that, where I was like, wow, I could actually have a legitimate shot at maybe a title. Um, then I remember we went, we raced at some NASCAR race in Michigan or something. And I had a horrible first corner thing with my ski. I don't know something happened to my ski. I can't remember right now. what I can't remember what it was, but I think it pretty much, it took me out. I had to, I finished, back of the pack. I don't know if I couldn't turn or if the carbide had snapped or something weird. And then I remember going into Geneva where I was, uh, was now I was like tied for maybe it was second with Tommy, Tommy Amasalo. Am I saying that right? Tony Mm Amasalo or Mm -hmm. yeah. And, um, and then didn't have the best weekend at Geneva. I think we finished the year third he ended up getting second Blair Blair won the championship um but it was a good year I was really looking forward to the next year because uh, I'd made a you know great relationship with Robbie and um and the whole crew the whole team um I think we kind of got by the end of the year we we were the I think the older team to beat uh Brad was still motivated he wanted to win a championship um kind of excited to have Robbie instead of him just racing one of the pro classes, you know, he would be racing both the pro classes and I was really, really pumped up. And I remember at this time I had a, had my, my um, lawn care landscaping business where we would, we would do a bunch of work in the spring. We call them spring cleanups. We clean up all the debris on the properties. And I remember um, not spending a lot of time on the dirt bike due to that. And then, the first race of the year was my, my manager at the time had a business manager that was kind of running things. When I was racing, we loaded up to go to Cambridge, Minnesota, which back in the day was a, was a pretty big race track. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people would go, um, you know, Donnie Schmidt would show up there once in a while. And um, so I went there, uh, it had rained, it rained the night before all night. Uh, remember we were in a, in a hotel room kind of in, Cambridge, Princeton area or something. And just remember looking out the window going, Oh boy, good thing. It's a sand track, you know? Um, so it had rained and rained and rained. And I remember, uh, racing my classes, you know, winning 
doing well, winning some races there and getting down to where I had, uh, I had used all my jerseys. So like practice jersey was completely, you know, soaked and had sand on it. And I just was going through Jersey. So I was down to like this, this shift Jersey, um, which was like a double-sided black on one side, white on the other had my pro number on the back. I think mm-hmm. it was, um, on both sides or something. And I just put that on, I think I might've had a chest protector or something that I was wearing at the time. Um, not really significant until, um, it was a, it was a, it was a thicker Jersey, I guess. So kind of weird deal is like the 258 class. And it was, uh, I think I was in third. It was, it was off the start. There was a corner, a right-hand corner. You were still kind of cornering and then you would do a tabletop and you'd kind of straighten out on the tabletop. And when you'd land from the tabletop, you'd go left. And, um, Scott Gendro, who turned, uh, turned out to be a pretty good, I think he had a good run at pro motocross for a little while there. He was ahead of me. He was in second or first or second. And I was right behind him. He kind of, he kind of cased that, um, I saw him kind of sideways and, and come coming. He was going to come up a little short. I remember kind of whipping my bike. This is off the start. So there's, this is a full pack. Um, mm-hmm. So we're, it's right, you know, right after the start, first jump after the start, we're still kind of cornering. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I'm whipping my bike. I'm kind of whipping it to the outside of the corner. So I'm not going to take the main line. I'm going to be on the outside um, because I, I didn't want to run into him because I could see he was coming up short. And when I was on the outside, it, it was just super, it was like, um, I was on ice and I wasn't going, it wasn't like I was going fast or anything at the time. Um, just spun out is really all it was. It was just, it would, nobody had ridden there. Um, so the line, you know, the main line in the sand had traction, but because it was, it was still raining. So it rained all night, rained all that day. It was continuing to rain. And, um, and yeah, I just, just lost the the back end. It just slowly slid around. I really never thought anything of it. I just thought I was going to pick up my bike and, and everything was going to go on and, and, um, you know, uh, just, just not even a big crash. And, um, there was a, uh, another racer. I remember as I was kind of getting up, um, slowly came into me, uh, his name's Lee Erickson. He was actually, a, he raced pro too. And, uh, I know, I know the guy to this day and know who he is and stuff. And he, he, he bumped me by, you know, he, he kind of budged me by like six inches enough to where when I was kind of crawling over my bike, I made me put my hand down farther to the back where the, where the wheel is. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I realized it, but my throttle, when it had spun, it had spun the, the rear wheel was facing down track. The throttle was actually uh, spun and the bike was, was basically pinned rev, just sitting there revving, running on the ground. And, you know, I, I wanted to get up quick. I knew there were, that was my only fear is there's a bunch of guys behind me. I want to get off to the other side of the bike. Cause I'm on the track side. And, um, you know, the, 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 the spin out itself was five mile an hour, just a wimpy little slide out. And I just wanted to get on the other side of the, and as he kind of, as he kind of hit me, he bumped into me, barely hit me. He was on the binders. He was on the front brake. I remember just seeing this Yamaha and seeing him looking up and then putting my arm down in it. It was a really weird thing. It, it grabbed my Jersey and it, it kind of sucked my arm in between the, the side of the, um, um, 
between the side of the swing arm and the tire. So on the mm -hmm. chain side of the bike. So it was on the chain side mm. facing up and, and, uh, it just, it was quick. It was boom. It was just done. And I remember like, it just, boom, it pulled my arm and it just yanked it in there. And it was, it was in there. And I remember reaching up for my clutch and barely being able to pull the clutch in. And that's what, you know, that's what just stopped it. Um, pulled mm -hmm. the clutch in and it just over revved finally ran out of gas probably on the side and just, it, it, it's not like my arm was in there very long, but it, um, it was very tight. It was a tight spot. You wouldn't think your arm could even go in there, but I think the combination of that, that extra kind of thick Jersey, um, I think mm -hmm. on maybe a, just a normal Jersey would have probably just ripped the Jersey possibly. Um, I don't know, but it was like everything aligned, um, for me in, in a bad way there for that little brief time. And it's like, everything had to just be so for this to happen. It was a really freak thing. Uh, you know, I've been waiting, not waiting, you know, um, but, but just kind of visually looking to see if I saw anybody else have this happen to them. Cause I'm like, Oh, this can really happen. And it's kind of scary. And, um, with Ken Roxon's second arm injury, he almost had the exact same thing as what I had happen. And thankfully mm -hmm. he was able to kind of escape it, but he still got some damage and it was just kind of this, it's kind of this random thing. You'd have, you have to have your, basically your throttle has to be, you know, driving the bike, the, ha the bike has to be on its side. And, you know, there's, you know, if you, if your jersey or your arm catches the knobbies on that tire, there is a spot between, you know, that it could go in and, it's just kind of a freak, freak accident, really. But um, it was definitely a game changer for my career. I was super excited to have a good motocross season. That was the first race of the year, and I'd had a good, had a good year uh, the year before for that that '04 um, year. And then, then it was like I, I was, you know, sitting here with my arm stuck in this bike, um, not sure how I was even going to get out of this situation. I remember people freaking out, people throwing up. Um, I remember the ambulance uh, was having issues there with, I think, just um, being able to get out of the track. I think there was so much mud mm -hmm. and stuff that they had to call another ambulance in. I remember people really freaking out, losing their cool um, while my arm was in this bike. And I was probably the calmest person of, of everyone. Um, you know, there was a pool of blood. It was re really close to an artery. Thankfully, if it would have been an artery, I wouldn't be here to be talking about it, but you know, there's, there was enough blood and stuff where it was, we, we knew, you know, everybody around knew this was not like a normal injury. This was, um, more than a broken bone or, you know, mm -hmm. and I remember just being like, I, I, this can't be happening to me. You know, I want to race. Like this was supposed to be my, my year to finally win a championship. You know, I put in a lot of years and a lot of work and I was really motivated to have a great summer and, and carry that into the snow cross season. And, and then here we are and, and this happened. And I remember actually having to, uh, once I got my bike to kill and, and then people freaking out about like, how do we get him out of here? We're going to have to take the wheel off, but you know, we're going to have to go get a, you know, find a, find the tools. And I remember thinking like, I'm, I could die here like this, this, you know, so I actually had to pull my arm out. Um, and, um, if you ever saw the pictures that the chain was all the way down to the bone. So I had to basically flail kind of, you know, skin my arm out of the bike. So I just pulled as hard, <laughs> as, hard as I could. Yeah. It was super gnarly. Like I, 
I'll show you pictures. Definitely uh, not everybody can look at him, but I will definitely. <laughs> it's like a serious war injury. It's like, wow. Um, it really cut all the way through and it's right, right at my elbow. And um, yeah, it was, it was a brand new chain. I remember putting the new, uh, new chain on that day, you know, um, you know, you take the stock chain off, obviously it's not, they're not that good. You put like a better chain on. And I remember it still, it was like, had that, you know, new chains have that really tacky, um, that, that tacky oil on them, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, so it was like super tacky. And so of course all the sand was stuck to it, you know? Yep. And the thing was just like a chainsaw. I mean, it took no time at all and it just zipped through my arm all the way. And it cut, it cut my radial nerve is what it ended up doing. That was the the big bad thing that happened. Not not that it wasn't bad just because of, you know, how, how significant of an injury, but nerves I found out are very important. <laughs> um, not really knowing about them much until you have an incident where all of a sudden you cut one and you realize, whoa, those muscles do not work without that nerve. That's a, mm. you know, so, so yeah, I kind of felt like I was kind of at the, kind of at a really good spot where I was really feeling good about uh, a championship. I think that's when you do a sport for a while, you know, at first it's just cool to, you know, do well, win a race, you know, whatever. But eventually if you hang out in the sport for long enough, you, you want to win a championship and you want, you know, I think that's kind of the, what everybody's there for. And, and it was a, it was a bummer, you know, it was, it was, uh, up, ups and downs. And, um, I was really thinking at the time, like, how can, I can't believe this is happening to me. Um, what am I going to do from here? And I, it was, it was, um, you know, I had a great team that, you know, they were behind me, but you know, it was, I was too good of friends with them to lie to them. I wasn't going to say this wasn't anything. I was telling them the truth. I was sending them photos. I was like, Hey, this is, I was in the hospital uh, for a while afterwards, quite a while. And not knowing if I'd ever be able to, you know, race at all. Like I, mm -hmm. and it was, it was a weird, it was a weird turn of events. I think at the time I had built up enough of a following and a name for myself in the racing circles that, um, you know, I got a call from, from Kowalski. I think he had sent, sent a guy that the team manager to come to the hospital. So I, you know, it wasn't right away, but it was, I was still in the hospital. I remember them saying like, we'll, we'll, we'll take the gamble. Well, we want to sign you and we think it would be great. It's a new team. And I'm going on oh, new team. Like I, it's the last thing mm -hmm. I want to get a new team. But then I also felt like if I, you know, took my buddies, like I felt a little un uncertain about, you know, how my year would be. Could I, could I even ride a snowmobile? Like, could I even, yeah. could I ever ride a snowmobile? Like what, what's going to be the significance of this? I have no idea about, this is an injury. Like I've had injuries. Like I had a lot of injuries to that point, probably more than most guys. And, and, um, but this was something different. And I was just like, you know, I, you know, I would hate to just, um, you know, be on that same team and, and, you know, and then not perform or not be able to ride or whatever. And so I was pretty honest with Ola and I was pretty honest with everybody at Articat and, um, Kowalski's didn't, didn't care. They didn't really care. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think they, you know, I, I just, I feel like it just kind of worked out and they're like, you know, we'll take a gamble. 
it's a new team. We'd like you because we'd like to get some help from Skidoo. And we think if, you know, if we have your support and your experience, um, Skidoo will, you know, be likely to help us out a little bit more. Uh, it'll help with sponsorship, et cetera. So it, it worked out, I think, pretty good for, for that reason. Um, but I do, I do remember before the season started to, <clears throat> I was, I hopped on a, a dirt bike for the first time. My, my hand never did heal. It wasn't, um, my, my radial nerve never came back. I had a nerve graph and, um, I remember how excited I was to be able to actually go out and ride a dirt bike and I could actually ride it at a decent pace and I hadn't been on a bike or sled or anything for, for pretty much that whole, it was, it was fall time. It was getting to be like, can you, can you go snow crossing or not time? Mm -hmm. And, um, and we just kind of makeshifted a, uh, EVS wrist brace that we turned upside down and basically used the, used kind of the, um, the rubbery portion of that to just kind of hold my hand, my wrist out straight. So I could, um, cause I couldn't with your radial nerve, you can't lift your wrist. You can't make your fingers go out and you can't make your fingers go up or your thumb. It also controls your thumb going out. So, um, I could squeeze, but my wrist would just, everything would go in and I couldn't open my fingers back up. So for me, the, the, the scary thing was if I had to pull a tear off or if I had to, and, and I did, or I had to clear my vision, getting my hand back on the handlebars. Like once mm-hmm. I got it on there and I had my fingers on the brakes and everything, it was okay. I'm going to say, okay. It was never like how it should have been at all. But um, <clears throat> I was, you know, I, I just, felt like I wanted to prove to myself that I could still get back out there. Um, I remember being at Duluth and with this new Kowalski team and um, this huge significant injury that could have, you know, could have been really bad and, and just kind of like, Oh boy, here we go again. Um, the sleds, you know, with the new team, we, we had them jetted, they had them jetted like three sizes too, too rich. So for like our heat races and stuff, the thing on the line that you, you would have to like, hold the brake and rev it up just, mm-hmm. just so it wouldn't load up and die. And I remember just struggling with, and I'm like, wow, this thing is guys, it's way too rich, way too rich, you know, a new team. They're like, no, I don't. And then as the, you know, kind of the races went on and talking to other teams and like, yeah, you guys are really rich. Like, what are you doing? Um, but I remember through that kind of whole first major weekend back, you know, I had, I had ridden some moto. I had, I had, felt like, okay, this is going to be weird, but I might be able to make this work. And I kept hoping that I would be able to have another surgery and another nerve. They didn't know with the nerve. They thought, you know, it could grow back. Like these things can take years to come back. Um, Mm -hmm. I was kind of like just in the stages of like, well, maybe my arm will just start working again. You know, maybe these muscles will start getting innervated from the nerve and I'll start to, you know, I was trying to you know, keep, you know, I was stimulating. I was trying to do exercises and things and hoping that that nerve would regrow. And, um, I was out racing again and, um, this was probably going to be probably the lowest point of my career because I remember, I remember, um, I loved the sleds when they weren't loading up when they were, they were, it was a nice sled that Skidoo Rev chassis, um, in 04, 05 it was great. Um, sleds were good. Um, new team, you know, not, not any testing because our trailer, we had a brand new, really awesome race trailer made. Mm-hmm. Did. It had like double slide outs. It was by far the cool. I remember Blair Morgan was checking it out. He's just like, cause he had his teams and he's like, oh, this thing is really cool. 
And oh, was, I've seen pictures. I've seen pictures of that trailer. Like even yeah. it's just they appear every now and again, but it it was beautiful. Yeah. It was beautiful. It was it was nice. So we had we had some good things going for us. Uh, just kind of new team, new sleds, figuring out the kinks and uh, sled loading up. I remember, she, you know, I was in a race with Robbie and we were going off that big jump at the top of the Duluth. You know, that big kind of you'd sky down it. You know, and if there was like mm-hmm. a you know backside of a bump you could land on. You know, it was it was. Um, but I remember it was kind of it was like loading up, and I remember our skis kind of hooked together going off of it to the point where I thought if, and I was ahead of him. So like he dri- had driven his ski underneath mine, you know what I mean? Kind of locked together. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, if we go off this together, like I, this is bad. You know, we're going to be completely tangled in the air and it's just gonna. So I just kept the throttle, kept the throttle licked going, you know, and this thing was, blah, 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 you know, <laughs> going off of it. Um, landed that and then i think i hit the next deal and the timing wasn't there i don't know if i over jumped it or under jumped it but i never uh, and i was surprisingly holding on i was holding on really tight to my uh to my good arm right so the one good arm that i have like i'm holding on tight and it dislocated my shoulder when i landed i never had a dislocated shoulder they're not fun for those that have had them i'm sure a lot of people have but uh so here we go from, you know, my, you know, riding with a paralyzed arm, probably shouldn't even be riding, you know, um, and uh, just went through this huge, huge uh, kind of kind of career ending injury, really, but I'm still out doing it, trying to prove that I can. And, and then I dislocated my shoulder and we had that really good doctor at the time that traveled the, uh, the national circuit. It was like a chiropractor, but he, he kind of knew it all with the sports doc stuff and, um, he was really great. He got me in there. He put it, put the shoulder back in, which was, I didn't think he was going to get it because it wasn't like it went right in. It was like hard for him to get it in. And finally it like slid back in. Um, but I just remember kind of going back to the hotel room and, you know, I had my, um, had my wife at the time, just like, what are we doing? You know, like I can't, can't keep doing this. This is just, it's, you know, it's, a little bit, a little bit dangerous, you know, with not having full function of my arm and then new team stuff, not working right. Um, just kind of everything. And then just what I had gone, just gone through, it was just like this really, this low that I felt. And then I remember, um, just, just being like, okay, my arm's dislocated. I'm not racing tomorrow. I I helped the team a lot. I, I basically became like a for like a week, like the team manager, I, I went and got all the right clutching for the sleds. I went and got all the right specs on everything from, you know, I just talked to all these guys that I had raced with for years that were skidoo guys and they, they helped me out. Mm-hmm. Um, team managers helped me out, racers helped me out, everybody. So I was able to get the sleds, get the information to the mechanics. So, cause I, I was like, guys, we can't be out racing pro snow cross with, you know, our sleds jetted way wrong. You know, we were jetted, mm-hmm. you know, three sizes in the wrong direction. Like we, we gotta be. And so I, I think they, they, they like that, you know, um, the team owners, the, the, the other riders were like, Oh, this is great. So I, I helped out a lot, uh, he, not healed up, but I got a, I think Winnipeg was the next race. It was only a couple weeks after Duluth, maybe two, maybe three. Uh, I think it was two. I got a Duke wire. It's this crazy, thing that football players wear where it's just like this canvas that you lace up 
so your shoulder doesn't come out, but it limits mm-hmm. your limits your movement. And uh, I went to Winnipeg, and I wasn't sure if I was going to race. You know, uh, had a lot of stuff going on there, but um, but decided to with my Duke wear, and so I'd lace myself up. My shoulder would only be able to raise up so far. Like it was very limited movement, and um, then you have the other arm that's that's paralyzed. So it was is interesting, but uh, ended up getting uh, third place there. I think it was third. I know it was podium. It was either second or third. I remember Milt Reiner, Reimer was there. It was like his hometown. He, I think he said like, yeah, yeah, we got on the podium. It was like one of his first pro riders to podium with like the FXR gear on. Mm-hmm. So I remember yep. he was real jacked about that. Still hooks me up with gear to this day. You know, my whole family. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you got on the podium first with my stuff. And um kind of dates me a little bit but uh <laughs> but it was a really good feeling to go from like a low in your in your life like that or your racing career to wow I, now I'm on the podium like what's going on you know um and I have a I have one shoulder that I it's all tied up in this duke wire brace and my arm that I can't raise up I can't open my fingers I can't you know so I was like huh what do I do with this season so I think from that point on, I'm like, you know, I'm just, I'm going to have fun. Like, I'm not going to take this too serious because pro racing f- for me was, you know, you had to be, everything had to be right for me to do, do really well at it anyways with, with Blair and Tucker involved. I think it's, you know, now that I had this new injury, I kind of felt like, boy, <laughs> and you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. I definitely, because of it, my radial nerve and all those radial muscles not working, I, w- I wouldn't get arm pump in that hand at all, which was kind of weird. Um, you know, so like, you know, it was just like, it was a little bit, a little bit different. I mean, it was, uh, it was fun for me to be able to kind of come back out, prove that I could do it. Uh, and then I, and then I had fun with the year. I, I tried to, um, not take it too serious. Um, it got a little scary. I remember thinking, you know, this is probably going to have to be my last year because I cannot clear my vision. I remember, um, there were some races that there's some film floating around out there where, where I, I actually crashed or either ran into somebody or just kind of fell off my sled. Um, but it was because I couldn't see, I would get roosted. We'd be in, you know, I remember one of the races was, uh, Hill city, um, where I had grown up watching some of the legends race, you know, they had a pretty nice track up there and it was a national race. And, you know, I couldn't clear my vision because of, uh, I couldn't get my, you know, couldn't get my hand back on the handlebar. So, um, safely, like in the air, I couldn't, I couldn't reach, I couldn't pull the tear off. You had to really be able to open your hand, squeeze the tear off and, and rip it off. And then, you know, all things that were no big deal when, when you had a, a wrist and a hand that worked, but now I was having a lot of trouble when I would get roosted and you don't have a lot of time to get that vision back. You know, if you get roosted as you're going up the face of a, of a triple jump, you need to know you need to brace yourself for when you're going to land. You need to, there's a lot of things you need vision. You can't not be able to see at that moment. So there was like a couple times that that happened to me where I was, I was freaked out. I was like, okay, you know, I need to be able to clear my vision. That's when I started thinking about, I wonder if I could get like a, a, a roll off system. And I started playing around with roll offs and, you know, something that would just slowly keep pulling the, you know what I mean? I, I still think it's a cool idea for racing. If, if it's a mud race or whatever, but like kind of like a battery operated, you know, where mm-hmm. it would just slowly keep clearing your vision. Cause I thought, man, this is, 
it's not good not being able to see. And the fact that I couldn't, you couldn't pull the tear off in the air. Um, you know, I could kind of take my hand off maybe when I landed and then I could kind of wipe it with the side of my hand, but I couldn't really pull the tear off. So, uh, it was definitely a, definitely an interesting year. Um, yeah, I felt like I helped out Kowalski's to kind of get their sleds and, you know, his son race. So I think that was his, his main mm-hmm. motivation was to, you know, for Scott to be able to have a good go at it. So I tried to help them get, get what they needed for the kind of the experience level of it and the, the mechanical level of it, um, the best I could. And then I, I tried hard. I mean, I tried to do as good as I could, but I think in the back of my head, I was like, you know, this is, this is, um, I'm not a hundred percent you know, and really kind of looking, kind of doubting myself a little bit. Um, I think we had some successes. I think we had some, some good runs, you know, I podiumed at Winnipeg. I think we, even at X games, like somehow I, you know, got in the final and was able to put some solid heats and rides together. And I I could still ride. I still had that part of it. I just didn't have like the full package with my wrist being injured. My shoulder was good. That, that never dislocated again, that after, um, it never bothered me. So yeah, just kind of hanging it, you know, seeing how it would go and seeing if that, that radial nerve would, would come back. And then I, I did have uh, the second surgery right after the season. I was like, okay, let's just see if, if this will grow back. And uh, it's called the nerve graft. So they go in and basically put a gra- uh, like a tube in and hope, hope that your nerve grow, grows back. And it, it just never did. And and at the time, I didn't realize I could get like a, what I ended up a couple years after I uh, quit racing is I had a, a triple tendon transfer, it's called, where they actually take and rewire it and they use different tendons <laughs> that, you know, do your extension um, and they, they kind of rehook them up to where normally the uh, tendons would control your muscles that fire your radial nerves. They just kind of rewire it. And I remember, I remember hearing about this from my brother, who's like a big, he's big into surgery. He he teaches surgeons how to use certain products and really smart guy. And he was telling me, he's like, why don't you just get this done? And I'm like, what? No, I'm like, you're crazy. Like, how would my, how would my brain even know how to, you know, if if you're going to rewire stuff, how would I, how would I figure that out? He's like, it just figures it out. You just do it, you know? And he was (laughs) right. But like it, it's like one of the oldest surgeries and it go, goes back to like the plagues and different things that from like, yeah, it's, it's a crazy thing I learned about. And I went to the Mayo and had a really good uh, hand surgeon and he did it and healed up. And I'm like, wow, I can raise my wrist now. I can open my fingers. I can open my thumb, you know, not, not to the level of, you know, before injury, but it would have been a game changer if, if I would have had that done the first year for racing, I would have probably extended my career a few years, you know, but, um, Everything happens for a reason. I'm very happy. I have three beautiful children and a great business. And um, I still love racing. I still wish I could, uh, you know, it's it's fun. <laughs> you know, works, work, works work. But, you know, I still like you can uh, you can tell by talking to me. I'm, I still love this. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I love this part. And I, I really I still watch Supercross a ton. I still watch uh, motocross, snowcross whenever I can. Um mm-hmm. A lot of good people there, a lot of great uh, memories that I had. And it was, it was definitely fun for me. I still get out West. I see the Crapos here and there and we do some riding out West and stuff. And I love mountain riding. So I kind of got into that thinking about c- calling up uh, Carl Cooster here pretty soon and pay him a visit. 
he can show me oh, how that'd to be really, cool. yeah he can show me how to really ride the mountains i raced, <laughs> raced against that dude a lot back in the day and even chris brandt raced you know with him and there's a lot mm-hmm. of guys that are still very active in the sport that you know i feel like i uh, you know with with three kids all playing hockey and then uh lots of employees and jobs and stuff i've been been so hunkered down to like my little my little world and um looking forward to this winter and just kind of getting back out there hopefully doing some riding doing some powder riding and reconnecting with you know you mentioned nathan titus um you know i went went to when i was done with racing and x games you know me and nate were good buddies with joe duncan so joe would always mm-hmm. have me out there i'd stay with nate out in uh in Aspen and stuff and, um, got to know him really well. Um, so I have a lot of great stories from him as well. And just reconnecting with some of the guys that might be out in the mountain areas and, um, getting to do a little playing and, and riding and stuff this winter. I'm looking forward to it. Actually, That's awesome. uh, That's awesome. actually ran into Doug Henry. I was in, uh, I was out in, in LA for the, uh, that super motocross race, the, the final mm-hmm. one took mm-hmm. my son out there and, uh, and just randomly, you know, in the pits, uh, I was like, Doug? And uh, got to run in, run into him and talk to him for quite a while. I introduced my son to him. All of my son's probably like, who's this? I don't know who Doug Henry is. You're right. <laughs> so um, it was interesting. But, you know, you're kind of – it's such a big part of your life for so long. And then I think there you go through, uh, okay, I'm done racing, and now what's, what's my day job going to be? And you kind of get caught up with that for quite a while. And – now I'm in my forties and I'm like, you know, it's time to kind of give back a little bit and get back into like, you know, what, uh, what you really enjoyed. And, um, so I'm kind of looking forward to that, that stage. And I've been out with my, my son, he's 16 and he's been out to out West with me probably a handful of times and plays, plays on the high school hockey team. So it's hard for him to get away, but I'm hoping to make some races this year and reconnect. I get, got to get, got to give a uh, Melanoski a call and, see what he's up to. I know his son Ryder's mm-hmm. been doing really well on the motocross scene. I've been talking to some of my motocross buddies and I used to talk to Robbie like once a week and you, know, you just kind of lose touch with people and looking forward to, uh, to kind of getting back, uh, back in acquaintance with everybody and hopefully, uh, hopefully throwing some legs over some snowmobiles this winter and <laughs> doing some riding, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's funny. You mentioned just kind of taking that, that step back because we see that with a lot of guys in the sport and you know there's a lot of guys like that frankly people miss like they just they miss tucker for a long time and you know a lot of guys miss ross martin a lot and there's a lot of these guys that they're they're in that phase of their life where they're just basically cold turkey they want nothing to do with it Mm -hmm. but then a couple years down the line maybe they'll kind of open back up and then because you know the sport will welcome everybody back with open arms so it's really just whenever they're ready to come back and experience it. So it's, uh, it's cool to hear you mention it. Yeah. I think that's kind of what you do for some reason. I mean, you, you look at kind of Blair and yeah, he had an injury, but you know, they, they <clears throat> you kind of go through, I think all pro sports, I, I follow hockey a lot, you know, when I was younger, I actually tried out for a team before, before I got big into the racing and went over when they had the 94 Olympics, winter Olympics, I uh, made a junior Olympic team and we went over to Lillehammer for when the, mm-hmm. the next Olympics were going on, um, Norway. And it was, I read about these hockey players and it just kind of becomes that whole team and that whole lifestyle. Um, sometimes a little hard to adjust to just, you know, normal life afterwards, yeah. you know? 
And I think mm-hmm. um, you travel a lot. I, I feel like, you know, Tucker just kind of hiding out a little bit. I think that's kind of normal. Like, I think that's kind of mm-hmm. expected. And I kind of was okay with it. Like I was kind of, I didn't, I'd been in big crowds and done all that for kind of a long time between the motocross, um, you know, some of the, some of the, the snow cross races stuff. I felt like just, um, just leaving, just kind of leading a normal life was kind of what I needed and wanted. Just not a lot of travel, just stay at home, focus on my business. And, but I do think, yeah, I think there kind of comes just like you said, that point where you go through that. And then now you're kind of like, you know, that sport gave me a lot. And, um, and you kind of try to get back involved somehow, you know, Um, because Mm -hmm. I think we all love it. You know, we all gave a lot of our lives and years to it. And, you know, um, I think once you go through that kind of cool off period, then I think you kind of, you kind of, you know, want to get back involved with it. And some of the guys have done a good job at staying involved in it. I mean, Carl Cooster, that guy probably still rides like a million miles a year. And, um, well, Mm -hmm. you know, he's, he's definitely still riding a lot and, uh, Levi with his teams. I thought that was kind of a cool thing that he did. And, um, I think he had some good backing with Red Bull and stuff is able to, able to do some teams and kind of stay, stay involved and give back a little bit to the Mm -hmm. sport. I think that's, um, that's great. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, you know, having some winters of, of some riding and reconnecting with people. I think it's cool that there's a podcast now and you're doing this because, um, I think we, we didn't have that around back when we, when we raced, I wish we would have, cause people, I think the fans and everybody would have gotten to know the riders in the sport a lot better. Um, so I don't know if, if there's anything as far as, you know, and maybe it's not at the level cause you can't talk about as much as you can when you're done, but. Um, I still think it would be neat to, to bring, bring the sport to that next level. Um, I know it's a little bit smaller now, the numbers have gone down and stuff, but it's still a cool sport. Uh, I wish it the best. And, um, you know, if it can be accessible by the fans through podcasts and different things like that and getting to know the riders and stuff, I'd, I'd like to get to know the riders, you know, it's kind of a different era now. I don't really know who's who I used to know everybody, you know, Mm -hmm. so I would love to be able to be a little, follow it a little bit more, you know. For sure, for sure. One thing I wanna I wanna grab before I before I forget here, because going through the timeline, one of the more interesting things that we always look at in the history of snowcross, there's a there's a select group of guys that have ridden for all four brands, and you always have to like basically start with Yamaha guys. So it's you know obviously <laughs> Robbie has, yeah. Ian Hayden has. I have a list of guys like. If uh, if Shabitsky ever rode a Skidoo or if Chris Vincent ever rode a Polaris, like there's like a couple guys. But then I heard this story about you actually riding a Yamaha for like a hot second, <laughs> which then actually puts you into that club too. What's yeah. the story on that? Yeah, that was, um, that would have been 05, 06. So, you know how I kind of said I quit racing? I, I, I quit in my head, I quit, but it was like the industry or the people around me wouldn't quite let me do that for whatever reason. It just kind of lined up where, okay, I'm going to be done. Um, I think I had a two-year deal with Kowalski and I remember thinking, you know, I think I'm going to be done guys. Like I've, I've kind of mm-hmm. given everything to this. If my nerve doesn't come back, I'm probably just not going to do it. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with, you know, my career and what I've done and, and, uh, ready to move on. And, 
And then I feel like it was that same year that I kept getting phone calls. Um, you know, I think somebody uh, reached out to me and said, hey, could you come and race uh, like all this money and the entry fees at Eagle River? Can you could you come race my son's sled? Uh, they won't give us our money back. And I'm like, really? <laughs> um, why won't they give you your money? Oh, but um, I haven't, you know, I haven't done any racing. I haven't even been on a snowmobile. And I went out there and you mentioned Ian Hayden. I think, yeah, he was there. And I ended up beating him and winning the winning the Eagle River World Championship on somebody's skidoo that I, you know, I never tested on it. I never, I just showed up and rode it. Um, I think Yamaha's headquarters is somewhere close to around that area uh, in Wisconsin. Um, mm-hmm. Monaco or something there. And yep. Yep. somebody had seen me, maybe Jesse Strag or somebody was working with them at the time. Cause I remember shortly after that, I was on a Yamaha at Eagle river snowcross track and it was a four stroke and it was, a, it was pretty hush hush. You know, they didn't really want to get the cat out of the bag. Um, but I remember doing some insane jumps, uh, timing sections, more like super cross, um, stuff that I could never do on any any mod sled that I had ever been on because I was getting traction like nobody's business. So, you know, even in between mm-hmm. the jumps, you know, as a four stroke and this thing would, would really hook up. So it was the same motor that Robbie would go on to, to end up racing the next year. Um, so, yeah, so Eagle River, I was uh, testing there with Yamaha and then I was looking pretty damn fast and testing and they're like, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's debut. Let's go to Lake Geneva. And I'm going like, Oh boy, like, here we go. Like Lake Geneva national snowcross, you know, at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. Um, I think I had been out East and raced a little bit that year on a Polaris. I got a call from a guy out there, Tom Anthony, and he was really cool. And he's like, could you just please come out here? Like we really, you know, everybody was just bagging me to come ride their stuff. Right. Cause mm-hmm. they just, uh, you know, I kind of just dipped out and there mm-hmm. was, it was still a really popular time in snowmobiling and, and, um, there were teams that wanted riders and kept getting phone calls, but yeah, that the, uh, the Yamaha thing was really cool. And then it was really neat for me to show up. I had been gone for like pretty much the whole year other than mm-hmm. maybe some East coast stuff and, you know, flash here and there. And then I showed up at, you know, with the full factory rig, um, cool sleds, but now they were four stroke and nobody had seen like a four stroke race snowcross. So it was, we had, it was a different sound. I remember bringing the, so parking the the rig and then uh, getting in the semi and then the mechanics took the sled, they put it out on the, like up high on the, uh, like the door. So like the door was, was um, parallel, kind of like raised Mm -hmm. it down just a little bit and um it was kind of getting dark and everybody from you know it didn't matter who you were you were looking at this yamaha rig going what is this because they hadn't been in they hadn't been in the sport for a while so they show up at a national mm-hmm. kind of unannounced and yep. and we fired up the sleds of course this was like i'm like hey guys we got to fire these up right it's starting to get dark <laughs> at geneva and these things are super loud they would um, shoot fire out of the exhaust so I could get them. I could like rev them up and hold the brake a little and I could get it to shoot fire out the exhaust. I'm like, I really wanted to do this, you know, and so we did. <laughs> so we, we fired uh, my sled up and I just remember people peeking out of their tra- trailers and it's kind of getting dark. So now you can really see the, like the fire shooting out of the back of it. 
and it was popping and it was just loud and sounded so different than anything else. And, um, and it was a lot of fun to ride that weekend. I, I remember lining up next to Blair and whole shot him. He was, you know, still racing. And, um, I remember just, you know, he had that big hill, right? Mm-hmm. So what, what better, uh, what better, you know, sled to have than like this four stroke that's just going to hook up and go. Oh know? yeah. Um, mm-hmm. heavy, like they hadn't put it in the nitro chassis yet. They were like, they still had the handlebar post behind the motors coming straight up. Mm-hmm. So the thing turned kind of like a Mack truck. Like you had like a, you know, um, it was a bit hard in the corners and it was, it was, um, suspension was really good surprisingly they they had that working out really good um it was just it was just heavy and 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 it mm-hmm. was um uh the the weight was was pretty high i think the motor was hard to get a low center of gravity like a, a low base i remember mm-hmm. that it didn't run much oil at all it was like a dry sump um and it was just a big motor to, to make it a four stroke. There was just a whole lot of motor in that thing. And it was big and it was, it was heavy and you noticed it when you wrote it, but, but, um, no, Yamaha was great. Um, it was neat to be the first guy to run a four stroke at a national. And I think I did all right. Uh, a few classes. I do remember, you know, once the weekend was done, Yamaha wanted me to stay a day and do some testing. They had Carl Cooster's, uh, stock sled somehow they had purchased, and, uh, <laughs> You know, that's how these teams work, right? They're not working together. Yeah. Like, well, uh, you can buy my sled. I don't need it. Okay, we'll buy it, you know? And then, so I remember they had all the big brass at Yamaha was there, and they had their stopwatches out, and they were making me just ride. They were like, okay, we want you to do five laps on Cooster sled as hard as you can. And then, you know, take a break. Then we want you to do five laps, same line, you know? So they were they had all their stopwatches out and guys from Japan and, it was pretty neat. And we realized real quick that I could go real fast on Cooster sled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, lap time wise, you're like, wow, that's the, yep, yep. that's the same time that the guys were turning at the, in the, uh, the, the pro light final. And I'm like, it was a stock, it was a stock sled. Mm-hmm. It wasn't his mod sled. Mm-hmm. I could still go faster on the stock sled than I could for lap times. And I could on the, the mod Yamaha. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I kind of, I didn't twist his arm. I think Robbie was ready for a change with Ola. I think uh, mm-hmm. two strong personalities there. Um, that you know, Robbie was ready to do something, and um, so I I was really good friends with him at the time. So I remember you know kind of getting him his foot in the door. Not that I would have needed to do much at that time because he was I think he was pretty well known. He had won a championship, um, mm-hmm. and you know, I think he was, he was doing great at the time, but I, I just definitely wanted to make sure that, you know, if Yamaha was going to create a great opportunity for somebody, I wanted to make sure that he got to, at least he got the choice to say yes or no. And I remember kind of working with, um, Yamaha on that and, and, um, had, had a great, you know, a bunch of fun. I little bummed out. I thought I was going to get to, uh, go to that Mount Fuji because there was talks of, like going out there in Japan and doing some testing. And I thought, boy, that would be yep. kind of cool. You know, I heard of it. Yeah. Like, I know nothing about it, but yeah, there's gotta be snow out there somewhere. And Mount Fuji, that sounds neat, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but it just did. It did. Yeah. I don't know if Robbie ever went out there either. I don't know if they ever ended up even going to Japan for any of it or just did it, kept it in, in the U S but, uh, 
I don't know how that year went for him. I didn't follow it too much. I think I started, I went to maybe a couple of races. I think he might've won a national or something, but I don't think they ever were able to really get it to consistently, um, you know, do what they wanted it to. Mm-hmm. I know they tried, I know they spent some money and, um, it, it was a, it was a cool sled. I mean, it, you know, in the right, uh, I think with the right track and the right, you know, circumstances, it, it could, it could do well. Mm-hmm. Good. I was, it was, it was fun. I wish Yamaha kind of would have stayed into it, you know, cause they, they kind of had this thing back then where they, they'd be into it for a few years and then they pull out, you know, um, then they were into it for a while. Then they would cut, you know, it was kind of in and out and, um, but you know, they're, they're a business. They need to make money. So they gotta, they gotta justify it, I guess. And you know, what wins on mm-hmm. Sunday sells on Monday. I don't know if that's, you know, like that anymore in, in snowmobile racing. And, um, mm-hmm. I think things have gotten kind of expensive. I know mountain sleds are still pretty popular. A lot of guys like to, you know, go out there and, and take the trek and, I suppose there's less places to maybe ride as there used to be. Um, some years of some bad snow and the, you know, the expense is kind of, you got to really have some coin now to buy a new sled. It seems like. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, it's wild. Like I, I got into racing, uh, some hair scrambles the last couple years and it just, it blew my mind when I would show up and it's like, yep, that's, that's 40 bucks. And I'm like, and I get to ride for an hour and it's only 40 bucks. I'd be like into a snow cross race, like $200 and maybe spend five minutes on the track. Yeah. Like it's just, it's, yeah. it's crazy what it's, what it's come to these days. Yeah. It got, uh, it got really pricey. I mean, I, I luckily hit it pretty good for the years because I was kind of just getting done with it right when like the kind of the 0809, like the financial, kind of mm-hmm. hit, you know, and that put the brakes on for like, I bet a lot of teams at that time, you know, or they at least kind of reduced their spending and stuff like that. But I mean, I think back, you know, back through the, the mid nineties and the, the first part of, you know, two thousands up to like, you know, 2006, seven, I think it, the sport was still, was thriving pretty well. It was, it was still, um, you'd have a lot of, a lot of entries, you know, I remember, all the way back from when I first started to all the way in the 2000s stuff, just the, just the sheer number of riders you'd get at the races and how many classes that they'd have and things like that and made it kind of fun. And yeah, it'd be nice if there was a way to, to keep it, uh, keep costs down. I think Levi kind of did that in a, in a weird way with his, uh, I don't even know what he calls it, but, uh, I went out and watched him, uh, and, and, uh, hung out with him after quite a bit. And it was like the trifecta or the fivefecta or something where the tri tri five tri five yeah yeah, yeah. it was yeah. like basically he's like Trev we'll get you a sled you just gotta wear something really silly you know what? <laughs> yeah and then I I didn't I really didn't follow this you know I haven't really been following this stuff and I go there and man there's some cool outfits going on you know you got like the mm-hmm. Ghostbusters guys and like Top Gun guys and like but they're all like, like oh yeah the deal is is you're supposed to only spend like 500 bucks or less on the snowmobile mm-hmm. and i'm like yeah it's I'm a, like i'm it's seeing wild stuff. yeah yeah i'm seeing <laughs> stuff out there i'm like there's no way you could even buy this for 500 bucks but, uh, and then i was trying to figure out because then bobby lepage was there and he's like trev check out my mod sled he goes 
this set is dedicated to you, man. He goes, I got the blue, I got the blue light. He had it all decked out to look like my old mod sled. And he even had like, yep. he even had parts or he had something in it. I don't remember what it was, the hood or something. And he's like, and this was yours, man. This was from your old mod. And I'm just like, sweet, dude. You decked out your sled. He had like the blue light and he was like making it. Oh, yeah. Like my, and I was like, that's really cool, man. I didn't even know that, you know, this was going on. And then he was like doing really well in the race. And I was trying to, I'm like, well, Bobby's like lapping all these guys. And Levi's like, yeah, but he's not in the lead. I'm like, who's, what, what do you mean? He's like, oh, it's a judged thing. I'm like, it's judged. <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah. He goes, we take that into, into account, but he's like, he goes, there's kind of a lot going on here, Trev, you know? And I'm just, <laughs> you know what I mean? So they totally took like, they kind of took like the whole, like needing to have mechanics. In fact, they just, it's just a, for, it's a really fun deal. And I thought it was really cool and guys were still able to ride and they rode a lot. I mean, they, most of the sleds, I, I think they had maybe like two, two different rounds or three different rounds, but they, mm-hmm. these guys did lap after lap after lap to where like all their, all their wings on their sleds and stuff that they had custom built to make it look cool was all broken off. And Oh yeah. Um, yeah. No, it was really, yeah. really cool. Deal. And, <laughs> and that's kind of like, you know, if, if somebody wanted to try, just try a sport for fun, if he could get into it for that amount of money and you know, if there's a, if there's a few races he could hit, I think that would be fun for people to, you know, all the people that are like, well, I've, I never really got to do it. I never had the money or, never had the opportunity, but they like to still trail ride and they're finding that mm-hmm. to be kind of expensive to go buy a new sled. I think there's still, there's some ERX track, uh, in Elk river. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yep. on that. and they do a lot of great stuff there too. I hear a lot of people are able to ride there and have a lot of fun. So I hope the sport keeps going. It was a big part of my life and, um, I still like seeing it. So, um, awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to transition into the uh, the Woody's Would You Rather segment, which has been uh, pretty popular as of late. So basically, Trevor, I'm going to give you two scenarios, and they both suck, and you got to pick which one you'd rather do, and you got to justify it. So, oh, you ready? Yeah. Yep. So would you rather stud a track using only, using only a crescent wrench to tighten it or <laughs> remove an exhaust completely by hand? So that includes the springs completely by hand. Um, does the exhaust have to be like hot? Like it just ran or can it be like, <laughs> Oh, it can be cold. Okay. No problem. So, no. Okay. So, um, so it's just remove the exhaust with, what do you say? Just, uh, just by hand. Yep. Remove the hand. exhaust by hand. Yeah. Or <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go with, the, I'm going to go with the exhaust because I have had to stud tracks like back in the day, I, you know, when I started, we did a lot of lake races, I remember putting like, I don't know, hundreds of studs in these tracks and it wasn't fun back then. And we used power tools. Um, mm-hmm. and I, and I didn't like it then. So <laughs> if I'm doing it without power tools, um, I'm absolutely <laughs> going to try to figure out how to get a few springs off and, and pop the exhaust off. Yeah. I'll, I'll take that. Fair. Take the exhaust. Fair. Yeah. Next one. You got to raise Valcor without any gloves on or race or race Geneva, but you have to have like five layers on. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Valcor, I remember me and Robbie, we used to tape our uh, fingers. We put duct tape on the outsides Mm -hmm. of all of our fingers. uh, Cause we needed to run thin enough gloves to be able to, you know, hang on, but it would get Mm -hmm. cold up there, really cold. And Mm -hmm. um, your fingers would freeze. 
So what do you do? You know, how do you keep them warm? You put a heat pack maybe in uh, the backside of your hand and then we just use duct tape. It got really gnarly cold. So I've done that, but I don't think I could do it without gloves at all. (laughs) I I think that would be insane and very painful. So I'm going to go really slow at Lake Geneva, try not to get in anybody's way and wear wear five pairs of gloves. (laughs) Fair, fair. So you have to race a night race, but you can only use the headlight on your sled. So it's like you're driving on the trails, but it's a snowcross race. Uh, where do you come or, up with this stuff? Okay. <laughs> or you have to race a sunny day race, but you can't have tinted goggles. They have to be clear. I've had to do that before. Yeah. You just mm-hmm. get your eyes just kind of like sunburnt or mm-hmm. you said a night race. Oh, yeah, or the night race, but you can only use the the headlights. The night race would kind of be cool in theory, like thinking about it. But the minute you would get any air, you wouldn't be able to see, unless yep. that 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 would be no. I I think I think the night race thing is would be super dangerous, probably, especially if you were really really going for it. Um, so, oh yeah. Um, so I'm gonna just go with the clear lenses. Um, clear lenses and, uh, and hopefully it's not that long of a race and and my eyes can recover. (laughs) Uh, next one. So you gotta be, you gotta be back row. Would you rather have warm, sticky snow when you're starting back row or hard, icy snow in the back row? Hmm. On the start. Basically. Yeah. Are you either going to get roosted in the face or is it going to just hurt? every inch of your body that it hits more or less i mean either way this isn't a great scenario but i've had to deal i've had to deal with both for sure mm-hmm. um you know i talked about how it was so hard to clear my pull my tear offs and stuff like that with my hand but um you know i think on the start you know i think on the start i'd go with the hard the harder snow as long as there wasn't snow dust i never like not being able to see but uh, it's not fun when you're totally face roosted with that wet snow and you're trying to come into the first corner because, again, now you, you can't see. It, it actually covers your vision. It's it's like kind of driving blind, you know. Mm-hmm. That's never fun. So I'm going to go with the hard snow, um, hard snow chunks. <laughs> Fair. Last one for you. You're on a start. Would you rather line up in between Blair and Levi Jeez. Or between Chris Vincent and Robbie Malinowski. Oh boy, um, yeah, you know all those guys are fast. Um, you know Levi actually, people kind of think of him or used to think of him as more of like a Chris Vincent, but he Levi got really fast. He did. He he perfected the art of snowcross. He got pretty darn good towards the end, and I think he had some injuries, but. Uh, um, on a start, I've had mm-hmm. to do many starts with Blair. And, uh, as long as Blair's on the outside of you, you might have a chance. If he's on the inside of you, he loved the inside, right? Uh, he can just push everybody wide. But, um, Vincent scares me a little bit. That guy was kind of, <laughs> he was reckless for sure. Um, you know, and he seemed like he had fast stuff, at least when he was with, uh, uh Amsoil there. I mean, he was, mm-hmm. he had really fast sleds. Uh, that guy would probably not lift. So I'd be scared of him. Robbie, the thrasher, Melanowski, another guy that you just probably don't want to be on their bad side. 
Um, Blair, you know, Blair could probably put his side wherever he needed to and he'd block you, but Blair was, you know, he was fair. You know, if you did something maybe not cool to him, then look out, but he's a, he's a wise dude and pretty respectful guy. And he's not going to probably do anything to hurt you, you know? So I'm, I'm going to go with probably Blair and Levi. Okay. I'll be in the middle of those two. (laughs) Hopefully, uh, (laughs) hopefully get a ski length on him before we get to the first corner. Because, you know, there's a great story, and it came up in Levi's episode about uh, you two at Lambeau Field. Some some controversy there. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Lambeau. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that was a year that I think we, I don't know if they didn't have the snow or something, but we ended up in, like, the parking lot of Lambeau instead of inside. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, what, it, he, uh... what he probably didn't tell you about that story is that in practice at Lambeau, he landed on me. So, mm. he, so in practice, we're going mm. through a ry- rhythm section and wham, comes a sled down, like right on, you know, takes my arm and everything off my sled and bends my bars. And, you know, luckily I was okay, but I'm just like, holy cow, man, it's practice. What in the heck? And this probably wasn't the first time he had ran into me. He was a wild child back when he kind of got, you know, young pro, pro days and stuff. He kind of hadn't smoothed out, you know, um, mm-hmm. Maybe not, probably not enough time with like the whole motocross, supercross stuff. Um, dude had a ton of talent and still does. And, you know, he's became, like you said, he became really fast, um, did really well. I remember when I was kind of getting out of it, watching him and going like, wow, he's kind of figured it out. I'm like, he's not, he's not uh, a, a cannon, or he's not like a bomb waiting to go off, you know, he's got it kind of calculated <laughs> yes. and he's, he's doing it right. And it was good to see, but yeah. Um, yeah, so Lambo practice destroys my handlebars, like steering post, everything. I'm going, man, this is practice. Come on. Like, he just, like, he could have really, you know, I was like, that could have been bad. Well, then he does the same thing in, like, the pro open final. And yep. both, I'm sure in his head, too, he's going, oh, crap. You know, I, you know, it was just, I don't think he wanted to do that he was just yeah just going for it man and and mm-hmm. uh that stuff happens in racing but i think at that point i was like looking at it like hey this could have really hurt me second time same weekend and i just pushed him down that's all i did it wasn't a big deal <laughs> you know it was i think it was more fun for maybe espn at the time or whatever to kind of show it as like a highlight and make it look like it's this physical you know you know just it's good tv but uh, mm-hmm. no, it was right afterwards, you know, me and him were Joe Duncan brought us in like this little, this little trailer and gave us a talking to, and it's just like, you know, you guys, uh, I think he said, we're going to, we're going to find both of you guys. And me, me and Levi are like, you're going to find us. Okay. Well, whatever, you know, and you guys need to yeah. shake hands and make up and we did. And, and then. And then it was just, I don't think they ever find us. I think it was just, I never got, I never got a bill or anything, you know, I think it was just kind of talk and they had to say something for the, you know, but no, it was, uh, it's just, you know, it was competitive and nobody likes to get landed on. It's kind of scary. Right. And, and Levi definitely Mm -hmm. did not try to do that. And I remember one time I felt really bad. I was at, at Quadna or Hill city there and, and Kirk was late, you know, he was probably testing for Tucker or something at the time, you know, later on in his career. And I just kind of misjudged something going into a corner and kind of came up on, on the captain, you know, and kind of parked my oh, bumper, right. Kind of where 
close to his back. If I didn't actually hit his back, it was real close. And so I, I know, you know, accidents happen definitely in the sport, you know, you're, you're trying to, you know, fly and jump and double and somebody else is on a different line and, you know, they can come together and, and um, it's definitely not, not intentional stuff, but there are those riders that seem to get into a little bit more of it. Chris Vincent was one of them, you know, Mm-hmm. I don't know if you were, had the opportunity to be at uh, Sault Ste. Marie for like Blair Morgan's first debut for that season before, I think it was before Duluth. That was just a really mm-hmm. comical, comical one where Chris Vincent and him got into it. Like Chris plowed into him and then Blair acted like there was something wrong with his sled, acted like something was wrong with his goggles, slowed up right before the, this big, uh, they had this big finish line jump. And then he mm-hmm. was just stayed on the inside of the track, just kind of like putting, looking down. I'm watching this. I'm semi-pro, and I'm like, I know Blair. I want, you know, I'm like, this is going to be yeah. good. This is going to be. Yeah, good. I know exactly what he's doing. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and and this is early on. Nobody really knew, you know, because we. I think people. I think he was at West Yellowstone. I was with him the year before, and but I knew his motocross mm-hmm. background because I was really into that. So. I watch him and he's put, and he's acting like there's something wrong with the sled. And then he's like, bup, 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 bup. like all of a sudden he's like acting like, oh, the sled's starting to go now. Right as Chris is coming around and he just takes Chris and he just angle cuts the whole face of the jump to where, you know, and Chris is on the outside. And then Chris had nowhere to go but off the jump, like off the side. Yep. And I'm just like, that is freaking <laughs> classic. Like I have not seen that in Snowcross. This is, you know, that was the new, the new era of Blair Morgan. <laughs> Welcome to Snowcross, Chris. You know, welcome to you know Blair Morgan style here, and and uh, oh, it was funny. And I think Chris had probably drilled him pretty good up on the top mm-hmm. of the hill that year. At least that's what I heard. I wasn't up there to see it, but um, I just kind of know know those that that's where that rivalry kind of started. Started early, started before Duluth even, you know. And it was uh, mm-hmm. it was funny, fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Well, I just got a couple more questions for you here, Trevor. I don't know if you've checked. We are two and a half hours into your one hour episode. Yeah, it went so long. I, I knew it would be. I'm like, once I start going with this stuff, I haven't talked about this, you know, to anybody for a long time. My wife and my kids, they don't even, they don't even know about it. Like they don't really, you know. Oh, yeah. So it's like, I knew once I started going, I'm like, oh, I remember this. And I remember that. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's all right, though. Well, no, it's no worries, no worries. Yeah. So as you look back on your entire career, like what's your overall like impression? Are you just extremely proud? Are there any kind of what ifs? Like how do you view your career as a whole? I think I'm really proud because, you know, um, I didn't come from a racing background. It was something that, you know, just was in me to kind of want to do. And and I, you know, I kind of pursued, pursued it myself, even, even though my dad had had some dirt bikes and stuff in the past. I kind of made it my thing and I had some really good success at it. I remember, you know, the, the school days of being in school and kids could, uh, teachers would flip on, flip on the TV and, you know, I'd be on, uh, uh, you know, on TV and they get to see me race, but I was, you know, I was still in school. So I did it at a Mm -hmm. fairly, fairly young age and got to make some money doing it, helped save up to help start, you know, have some funding to start my business and stuff. And, um, you know, the injuries were tough. You know, I, I wish, uh, if you could go back and do it again and not get injured. Yeah, that would be, that'd be amazing, but it's just not the way it is. Right. But, um, mm-hmm. 
yeah, other other than the, the injuries and the significance of some of those, um, it was a, a really a lot of fun. I got to meet and and get to know a lot of really great people, and um, and it was a really fun time. I think it was a great time for snowcross in general. I remember when you know the whole MRP and WSA started and just how big of a deal it was and how cool it was that you know this new sport of snowcross was going to be in this new thing called X Games and I remember getting interviewed and talking about what is what is it to be X Generation and X Games and this was all new right um, at the mm-hmm. time right X Games just came out and so it was. I think it was kind of a cool time to be involved in the sport. And I think I, I like, I liked the years that I was in it as it progressed more and more. I was kind of like, wow, this is really getting to be like either you're on a factory team and you have people behind you or you're not doing it. So Mm -hmm. I kind of felt like it, we kind of crossed the, you know, if you wanted to get a trailer and go do it, you still could. Um, Yeah. It was great to have support behind you. Obviously it makes a big difference. Um, but it was still kind of that in-between time where if you were talented and put in some work, you'd get noticed, um, and you could do that on your own. And, uh, I felt like I had a, had a fun go. Like I said, it's great memories, great people to meet, um, you know, stuff that, um, you know, it's all about the memories at the end of the day, right? For sure. For sure. If you look at, if you look basically out on all the all the trick race sleds you've you've ridden over the years do you got a favorite sled of all time oh i'm sure i do for trick sleds oh man god they're so fun it's definitely going to be the mods right mm-hmm. it's definitely going to be the mods um that yamaha was pretty cool how it would hook up it was fast mm-hmm. i would say um that first uh I think it was 150 horse at the time. Doesn't sound like much now, but uh, that 800. So we we raced 800s, right, for our open sleds back when I raced. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. right as I was kind of transitioning or getting out is when it went to 600. But those 800 open sleds that the factory would work on, like in their factory, because back then engineering and everything was still in Rozo, and it was kind of, I thought that was kind of cool, like the, some of those first you know, they'd have all the, all the kind of the famous motor guys or the, you know, uh, whether it was Artie Cat or players, they'd be building these motors for these snowcross guys. And it was everything they could do to, to win. And they would give you some pretty gnarly stuff that I'd almost be like, boy, we we probably need to tame this one down a little guys. Mm -hmm. I can stand this thing right (laughs) on. It's like, like I can wheelie straight up and down across the whole starting line. Like, I have to lean way over the handlebars and now I can't get that good of a, you know, so there was kind of a little bit of like, you know, when is it, when is it too much power? And um, yeah, I don't know if I can really pick, pick my favorite sled, you know, I, I mm-hmm. liked, um, I really liked the rev, you know, I think the rev, mm-hmm. I think, I think Blair Morgan, um, he's a great athlete. He's, I mean, he's just amazing. Um so you could put him on anything and he'd do well. Probably same with Tucker. Those guys, mm-hmm. you, could, you could really, I mean, you put those guys on great stuff and then that's, you, you see what happens. Game over. Yeah, game over. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I do think that uh, he Blair timed it really well, probably even better than Tucker didn't have a choice. Like he's not going to leave Artie Cat. Mm-hmm. But I think Blair just kind of got lucky. I didn't think it was like 
he just got on the snow pro right at the right time. And that was like the sled mm-hmm. to be on. And then mm-hmm. right about where they started to go, they didn't, I mean, they were, they were trying to make it better, but I think so, they, they made a few changes. Uh, remember there was a few years where they got real skinny there and with the track, but then they made it longer, but then they were maybe struggling with cornering and some things didn't seem to slow Tucker down much, but um, I think that was when Blair was jumped on the rev and, and uh, I think he just ran the, actually, yeah, I remember he ran the, the, his open sled was like the rev, right. But his stock sled still yep. had to be stock, right. Cause they didn't. Yeah. He was, he was still on the, the ZX chassis that first year that he was on Skidoo. So there's, it always looks really weird. You see him on an MXZ for that first year in the, yeah. the, in the stock. Class. Yes, I know. Yeah. You could tell he wasn't super comfortable on that, you know? No, <laughs> no, no, but it's Blair and he can just probably ride whatever, but no, it was, uh, those, those, those were really fun sleds. I thought, you know, those kind of those early rev years, you know, with, with the right kind of 800 tuned, right. Um, it lightened up a little bit, titanium springs, you know, do what you can to lighten it up, you know, lighter seat. They were really flickable and fun to ride. You know, tracks mm-hmm. like Lake Geneva, tracks that had the, the wetter snow that got gnarlier. And, you know, I really liked um, it was a lot of fun to, to, to kind of time your way through stuff with those sleds. But so definitely some of the later years, like the revs, the but um, they were all good, man. Like all the mod sleds that, you know, you could get if, you know, with for my program being, you know, being with some of the factory teams and stuff. And, you know, I probably would have never gotten to, to run that coolest stuff or that high horsepower of of stuff and i remember even x games 99 when i got the bronze they were running so much compression in that mod sled that it would crack the would like crack the cylinders or something the cylinders or the heads or so we were we were changing jugs like every i'd go race my race and they would have to tear the whole thing apart and i had and i had broken my ankle I don't know if you remember that, but it, we had those skinny, you know, just like the old snowmobile running boards. This was before the running yeah. board got wide. Mm-hmm. I think that my ankle might've been a definitely contributing factor to that because after I did that, my dad went home and made some wider things and we actually like bolted them on the practice sled so that the running boards would stay wide farther back. Because um, mm-hmm. I, w- I, w- I was riding, I was standing up, but I was kind of like my foot was right on like the tunnel roll you know, and it was kind of mm-hmm. skinny. So yeah, it was super easy to, to sprain your ankle. I just probably wasn't paying attention or didn't spot my landing because it actually broke it after the race it was one of the heat races. And it was like just landing off of the, the jump, you know, I probably was just relaxed. The race was over and just not really spotting where I landed. And my ankle just, just rolled and actually ended up breaking it, put like a hairline fracture in it. And it hurt, man. It swelled way up and mm-hmm. it really hurt. And it was like having to, uh, you know, having to race with, uh, an ankle on, and then on top of it, I'm seeing like what's going on with the sled and they're like tearing the thing down between each heat race. And, um, and they're telling me it's because of, you know, the elevation and they have all this compression and I'm going like, wow, I, I have no idea guys, but I just hope it doesn't grenade when I'm out there going off of a jump. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Don't lock up because I've had motocross bikes <laughs> do that, and it's no good. Like you don't want to be going off a jump and have your have your motor lock up on you. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the early days of X Games it was it was fun. <laughs> so through all the teams, whether it was you know Cat, 
team industries Ola who's the fastest teammate and this like can extend to like the semi-pro guys too but who do you think's the fastest teammate you've ever had the fastest teammate that I've ever had um like true teammate mm-hmm you know there's two guys that I would say stick out and I think probably a lot of people would think I would say Sean Crapo he was he was semi-pro um, when I was with him so he wasn't really going um, wasn't really to his full I think potential of speed uh, Robbie was was semi-pro transitioning into pro and and he could go really fast um, and he proved later on that he could win championships and go really fast and uh, mm-hmm. he was a beast but I don't think he quite had the timing um, I think he might have developed that a little more but Man, you get get that guy on like a rough track, and he was really good. He was strong. Oh yeah, he was strong and like, I don't know, he just just a little off on the timing once in a while. But uh, Curtis Crapo was also like that. He wasn't maybe great for timing things perfectly. wasn't like a big air guy. didn't didn't ride like supercross, but the guy could jump. So they grew up in like the sand dunes, like that area, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, you know he could he could you know, jump, big jumps, gaps, and he could, he could go fast. Um, I might be leaving out a teammate that I'm not even thinking of, but I think probably Curdy, Robbie, those guys in their prime were super fast. Like they were really Mm -hmm. good. They were really good. You give those guys the right equipment. And I think they were right at, right at the top of their game. You know, I think back in those days, it was a lot about, it's a lot about getting on that right sled and, and then also taking it serious. I think, I probably didn't uh, take it as serious as uh, I should have kind of earlier on uh, when I was coming up through the semi-pro and some of the earlier pro years. And I know, you know, Curtis would probably say the same thing and, and Robbie to definitely to some extent too. Um, we weren't <laughs> in it as, as serious as like Blair and Tucker were. And mm-hmm. I think we all kind of figured it out, but maybe a little too late, you know, mm-hmm. those guys were taking it pretty serious. Their training was really good. I think the, I think that the um, a lot of that carryover from the motocross training um, was was really good, and um, just just during the week, really putting the time in. I think nobody probably put the time in. I'm not calling Blair lazy at all. Blair was a hard worker, and but Blair was like super super gifted, and Tucker was mm-hmm. too. But Tucker really did. He put a put a lot of put a lot of emphasis. Emph- yeah, can't even say the word. Put a lot of work into like just making sure during the week that he didn't let like uh interruption sneak in um mm-hmm. i was actually in charge of getting tucker over for that international race in sweden when tucker went mm-hmm. over there and i had been over there and gotten to know the the swedish kind of um snowcross federation or whatever they called it over there and they're like trevor can you help us like we've been trying to get tucker here for like 10 years and we just cannot get him to come over i'm like oh yeah i can yeah, Tucker used to hang out in my trailer every weekend. Like we we're, yeah, I can get him to come over. They're like, we would love mm-hmm. that. So, I'm trying to get a hold of Tucker, and I keep, I keep getting um, Mandy, his wife. Mm-hmm. She keeps, and I'm just like, really? Like I, I just need to talk to Tucker. She's like, well, it's probably not going to happen, Trevor. Like we're pretty strict with how this goes here. And I'm like, what is going on? You know, this is when he's in his prime, and. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, he, you know, he just cut it out. He just said enough's enough. I'm not talking to anybody. I'm going to focus on Tucker. I'm going to go win races. I only got however many years left. And I'm going to let uh, other people talk, do the talking, you know, like he was really, you know, really strict for, 
very smart, I guess, you know, looking mm-hmm. back, it's like, that's pretty smart. Like he just didn't want to, I'm sure at the time he was, he was winning a lot of races. People were reaching out to him left and right. And he, he had to just kind of say, you know, I'm going to cut it off. So I had to like negotiate Tucker coming over with, uh, with Mandy, you know? So mm-hmm. I remember being, you know, with my kids and stuff, they were younger and we were at like ski golf skiing and I'm talking to Mandy on the phone and trying to get the deal done. Cause these guys, this whole, you know, Europe in general, like all of, all of like, you know, the snow areas and they really wanted to see Tucker Hibbert. And I remember mm-hmm. him coming over there really did bring in, I mean, people were coming from everywhere from Norway, mm-hmm. from Finland, from Sweden. And they just, they just wanted to see Tucker, you know? So yep. it was really cool. Um, and I'm glad that he decided to do it. I don't think with, if, you know, I don't think he would have, I just feel like, you know, with me pushing him and, you know, I was like, I was like able to like, like, you can do this, man. We can ship your sled over there. He didn't want to have to ride somebody else's sled. And I don't yep. know him, you know, so yeah. So there was some logistics to work through, but, um, I'm glad that he did it. Uh, it's, it's great. Cause there, I think he realized once he went over there, that the uh, sport of snowmobiling is, is really, really popular over there. They love it mm-hmm. and a lot of fans. So for sure. It was great. For sure. Last one for you, maybe a, a shameless plug opportunity for you, but what are you up to these days? What's, what's occupying your, your regular days? You know, a lot of, a lot of hockey. Um, you know, I love, I love watching the kids do that and, I had fun with that and my brother played for um played for the air force academy was a goalie so it's kind of in our family so in the winter we do a lot of hockey um my business uh is is doing well um it's it's occupying a a lot of my time as much as i'll allow it to and um Mm -hmm. and it's been it's been really successful we're in a great area a lot of beautiful lake homes um some of the some of the best i think uh in the midwest really um some of the coolest looking builds and really fancy, cool stuff, beautiful lakes. And I get to landscape some of them and, um, I get to take care of a lot of them. Um, Mm -hmm. so we do all like the maintenance stuff for them and keep, keep them looking nice. People can come up and enjoy, even if they're not full-time residents, if they're coming from the, the Metro or whatever, they can come up and grass is mowed and looking good and, um, mulch and plants and everything's looking awesome and they can just, enjoy it instead of having to, to work on it. I think they, they love that. So, um, I'm in a good area for that. And we got into pretty heavily into landscaping where we're, we're doing a lot of that. So we got all kinds of trucks and equipment and full-time mechanics and a little bit, uh, a little bit more than probably a lot of the other businesses up here. Uh, I think we're, we're doing a lot between both the landscaping and the lawn care. Um, you kind of combine that and under one roof, it gets to be a lot of moving parts and stuff. So it's kept, kept me on my toes, but I enjoy it. And, um, gotta do something when you're done racing, right? <laughs> for sure. For sure. You know? What's the, what's the name of the company? If anybody's uh, interested yeah, so, in, yeah, in so looking you up. Yeah. LA lawn care and landscape. So the LA is for lakes area. So we just kind of say LA lawn care and landscape. And, um, some people just say LA and, I don't know. It's kind of cool. I think people thought we were like a sports team when like the employees and stuff will, will go in for a pizza or something at the end of like a long day of construction. If I, you know, if I come out and give them a hand or, and we have like hats and like to the side of the bill of the hat says like LA to the side of the, you know, and I'm like, Oh, we thought, we thought you guys were like a sports team or something, you know? And 
And then they look a little closer. It says landscape and lawn care, and they get it. But uh, no, it's been it's been pretty fun, and you know, um, it's it's outdoors and it's uh, pretty mm-hmm. physical. So if I if I want to go get a workout in, I can at any day. <laughs> you know, I I find myself oh, yeah. doing a lot of paper shuffling and office stuff nowadays, which is kind of a bummer because I used to really like the physical aspect of it and. That was one of the reasons I think it kind of helped with the racing or I could actually have a business while I raced was because the work I was doing was, was pretty physical stuff and keeping me, mm-hmm. keep me in good shape. But yeah, now, unfortunately it's, it's been a lot, a lot more office stuff as, as the thing business has grown, you end up in the office more, but it's still, it's still a good, still a good deal. And if, if I, if, if I want, I'm the owner, I can do what I want. If I want to go and work in the field, I, sh- I sure can. And, and I, I did that a little bit towards uh, this fall, I did, did some patios and stuff. So, um, you know, enjoyed, enjoyed that physical aspect of it. And it's, it's fun making, uh, you know, kind of creating landscapes and, you know, creating these areas and stuff. And it's nice that they're on the, a lot of them are on the lake too. So it's a great, Mm -hmm. great environment to be, it's beautiful up here. And especially in the fall, you know, the leaves are changing and stuff and it, it was great to be outside. For sure. Yeah. Well, we can wrap it up for you then, uh, Trevor. Again, I, I really appreciate the time and the stories for sure. Um, hang on a minute after this, we can chat for a bit. But yeah, again, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I know the people are really, really going to enjoy it. So um, thanks again. Yeah, thank you a lot for having me on. I, I love the sport. I love the fans. I love the people that are into it and a lot of great people, fans and uh, people in the industry. So really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. Trevor John on the Carbide Podcast. As I listen to this one back, I'm so glad we went as long as we did. There were so many stories from the early 2000s that you only know if you were around, and it's been an absolute blast bringing them back to life. Big thanks again to Trevor for his time. I told him an hour and we ate up three, but to me it was totally worth it. Hopefully you guys have been enjoying these. A lot of the guests as of later from my childhood, so it's been a blast reminding people how talented they were and what awesome people they've become in their post-racing life. Be sure to follow us on socials, check out the merch site, of course, and represent your favorite snowmobile podcast. And as always, take care.